Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And sadly, Dylan will not be joining us this week, but we will be doing the box office numbers, the recap, and the predictions for this upcoming weekend. And in this episode, I'll be discussing the twisty horror flick Barbarian and the psychological thriller Don't Worry Darling with two special guests. Frequent guest Sean Tormey has returned to the show. Thanks for coming back, Sean. It's always a pleasure to be here, Ryan. And this time without Dylan, even better. I'm just kidding. <laughs> shots fired, shots fired. He's looking to replace Dylan as co-host. Oh. And then we have a new guest. First time on the show, Brett Butcher. Thank you for coming. Hello, hello. I'm Brett Butcher taking over for Dylan today. <laughs> as well as Sean for me. Taking over for Dylan today. He booted Sean out immediately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going for the limelight. All right, we're going to start out with a box office breakdown for the weekend of September 16th to September 18th. Starting out on the top of the list, having the crown is the Woman King with 19 million. So just shy of the 20 million prediction that I was hoping it was going to be able to reach. But still, great for Viola Davis and everyone involved there. So yeah, Woman King on top. And then following that in second place is Barbarian with 6.5 million and 21 million domestic. Pearl is in third place. It got 3.1 million. In fourth place is See How They Run with 3 million. Bullet Train hanging on into the top five with 2.5 million. For I don't know how many weekends in a row in (laughs) sixth place, Top Gun Maverick with 2.2 million. I think this was its 17th weekend 17th. Oh my yeah God. that is insane uh dc super pets with 2.1 million it has 87 million domestic total but that'll soon increase when sean finally goes to see it <laughs> <laughs> sure sure falling behind dc super pets is the invitation with 1.7 million we have minions the rise of Gru with 1.3 million bringing its domestic total to 364 million and worldwide it's still over 900 million so yeah incredibly successful run for minions and finally finishing off the box office breakdown is moon age daydream with 1.2 million Mm -hmm. and now for our predictions for this upcoming weekend september 23rd to 25th opening is don't worry darling of course we'll be talking about our thoughts on the film itself a little later on but certainly it will be the highest grosser for the weekend I'm thinking that it's going to be able to surpass 20 million. The industry predictions right now are settling at somewhere in the high teens and in the low 20s. But yeah, do you guys think it'll be able to break 20 million? Uh, I believe so. I think I think it might be able to if it's if it's really shooting for that. I think mm-hmm. it's it's got a very intriguing trailer. I know when I saw the trailer, I definitely was like, "Oh, I have to see this movie." Um, mm-hmm. with the star-studded cast, so I feel like it, it's it's going to be up there. Sean, what about you? You think it can I crack think, it? I feel like I feel like it could even break thirty million. Really? Wow! I, I think so. Wow. Well, listen, you have. I think I think the main draw is the cast, though. You know what I mean? For sure. Like you, you could you could definitely put like the name of Olivia Wilde being the director and 
co-writer and anything with her staple to it. And people will know her and go see her film. But I feel like having someone like Harry Styles in like Very a lead true. role plus Florence Pugh being a super well-known actress, I think that'll just draw people to the to the theater, whether they like it or not. So I think it could break 30. And if it doesn't get past 20, I'd be like shocked. But my belief is it'll break 30. Wow. That's my wild so, card guess. It's out there. Yeah, very optimistic for Don't Worry Darlings opening weekend chances. Uh, I'm not sure it'll be able to get that high. But yeah, I do think it will break 20 million for all the reasons you guys said. It is a big cast. All the Harry Styles fans, I'm sure, will go out opening weekend to support him. And then all the drama surrounding the film, all the free press oh, it's yeah. been getting. Oh, People oh, just want to yeah. see like what caused all that drama. Like We got to see this film and see why it all happened yeah why and if it was worth it (laughs) so moving on to the other film that is releasing this weekend it is not debuting it is actually a re-release avatar they are bringing it back in mostly like imax and 3d there are a couple like 2d showings but i think even those are on 3d screens and of course they're releasing it in anticipation of the sequel which is coming out in December, I myself am going to go to this re-release. I'm going to bring my mom, who didn't see the original back in 09, which I what? found out about recently. I totally thought she went with us, but apparently she didn't. So I'm going to bring her to that so she can see the sequel and know what is going on with all the blue people. Um, but yeah, <laughs> they're, um, they're shooting for double digits, which would be impressive for a, re- a re-release. But yeah, whether it's only going to get like 8 million or 9 million or if it can get up to 11 million we will see but what do you guys think and also are you guys going to go see this the re-release well given my my new knowledge um i know that at least two people are going to see this um that very true that that makes me wonder is it going to hit the double digits i'm not sure i feel like at the time of its release it was like the first of its kind um, for being like that, um, that level of special, they're not special effects, but CGI. And, and that was like the first of of its kind for that genre. Um, I feel like that's why it was such a spectacle when it came out in 2009. Um, I'm not sure if a lot of people will be going to see it in theaters. However, if there is a streaming service or somewhere, um, I'm sure it'll pick up there for people to, um, to watch gotcha. it, yeah, you yeah. you bring up a good point because they actually took it off of Disney Plus in order to Ooh. to support this re-release. So you can't uh, see it on a streaming service. Actually, you would have to like either buy it or go to this re-release, which I think is a like it's honestly a smart business decision because yeah, Avatar and the sequel as well. Those are films that really require the big screen. And the yeah. added stuff of like the IMAX and the 3D stuff. So, yeah, forcing people to go back and like familiarize themselves with the story and with the franchise again by doing it the way it was originally intended and will probably give the biggest impact and the best experience by doing it in theaters. It's actually pretty smart. So we'll see if that is able to boost the re-release numbers. But yeah, Sean, what do you think? Are you going to go see it? Are you going to help it get to double digits or do you think it won't be able to? 
Well, I'm not going to see it because I'm, I, I just, I work this weekend. Um, but besides oh, yeah. that, <laughs> besides that though, well, I guess you brought up an interesting point that I was going to ask before you like, like I had the thought before you brought it up. Is it re-releasing just, uh, like in theaters, like without the 3d and the IMAX or like, is it all like all kinds of theaters still? Yeah, I think what I was looking at this weekend, the showings that I saw were almost entirely in the premium uh, formats. So yeah, the IMAX mm. stuff, the ones like 4DX or RPX for specific uh, like theater chains. So yeah, they're almost always the premium stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I did see some that were like the regular 2D. But again, if you're going to go to like Avatar, I don't know why you would want to go to the like baseline 2d version instead of the awesome imax 3d version so yeah yeah that's what i'm saying i feel like that would be like the reason it would like get people to go to the theater because on on one hand you have a good point in saying that like you can't watch on disney plus so if you want to watch it you have to have the physical copy or you have to go to the theater and there are a lot of avatar fans that like will I genuinely think we'll push this film to try and pass that Avengers Endgame like line ever since that whole war thing went down between Avatar and Avengers Endgame. So I think when it comes to Avatar 2, they're really like I feel like people are going to push for it because this film is getting so hyped. But at the same time, I just it's just it's an old it's an older film. Um I don't know if people like I didn't even know it was re-releasing until this week. So like if I already had plans without work i wouldn't have gone seen it anyway so i feel like gotcha. it wasn't really marketing for the re-release that much or at least in my ask i didn't see it a lot but i do think it could at least hit double digits because it's avatar i think people would go because they just really enjoy the movie and the experience of three like you can't do it at home like the experience of the 3d the imax all that you can't do that at home and that's like the best way to watch it so i feel like it could definitely at least hit 10 million or like at least right below. I don't think it's going to like just not make money this weekend. Okay, so now we will start talking about the movies that we're going to discuss this week. We'll start off with Barbarian. That is a film from Zach Krieger. Krieger? However you say his last name. But he is the writer-director. He started out in the realm of comedy with the online sketch show Whitest Kids You Know. I'm interested. Do you guys remember that? Did you ever watch that stuff growing up? No. Not I, at all? I, I do remember uh, some things of it, like some key key parts of it, but I don't remember in great detail gotcha, <laughs> some gotcha. of the videos. I do remember. I remember distinctly they did one like spoof on Lincoln getting assassinated, uh, and then they did one of the grapist do you yes. all remember that one the grapist yeah yeah the grapist one is the one that i <laughs> yes <laughs> hard to forget isn't it <laughs> yeah so yeah he started out with that why could you know and then somehow in the years since he has now become uh, a writer director working in the horror genre this was his debut feature um so we are going to go into Spoilers for both this film and Don't Worry Darling, but just to start out with some overall impressions, non-spoiler overall impressions, what did you guys think about Barbarian, Sean? 
uh, a lot of hope for it. Um, <laughs> I was very much looking forward to this because I, well, as 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 everyone knows, or a big horror fan. Knows, I'm a yeah. big horror fan. No matter how bad they are, they're still good in my heart. Not really. There's some really <laughs> bad ones out there. But I was really excited for this one because the way they advertised it, it looked like something really like either creepy or scary was like going on in this film. And I had no guesses on what what I was going to go into. And my overall ending opinion on it is I think it starts off so great. And then there's just a key moment where it just completely flips the script and it changes the theme, but it still continues the story. And I just didn't like it. And I understand so many points as to why they did it, but I, I just didn't believe it worked. I like if I could separate the first and second half into two different like films, the first half's like <laughs> a four and a half out of five. And then like the last half is like a one out of five. So it's like, it's like a mid, it's like a mid table, horror film that i i I enjoyed it it was fun in the theater to sit there and like have so many questions and trying to figure out what was going on but after watching it once if i watched it again i i don't think i'd enjoy it as much it it was it was all right it was all right gotcha and what about you brett uh my my opinion kind of mirrors sean's a little bit uh we both went in with the same expectations the same uh like we saw the the trailer in theaters in theaters together and uh we both had this preface of going into this movie that it was going to be a certain thing and it just did not fulfill our expectations um or it subverted our expectations in not a the right way um it was an enjoyable watch there were definitely some uh uh some some moments in there where you're on the edge of your seat, but after a certain point, like Sean said, we'll get into later. Um, it just kind of falls apart a little bit in my eyes and, and they could have done so much more with, with what they had. They had, they had, they had the, 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 they had everything there and then they just, they just dropped the ball. I don't know what happened, but, um, I would, you know, I would say it's middle of the road as well. I'd say three, three point five out of five. Well, well, well. Um, hold on to that until the very end. Okay, I'll hold your, on. your rating <laughs> later. You don't want to spoil. Don't jump the gun. We might change your mind. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. Uh, Which is yeah. true. That has happened. Where through discussing yeah, the film yeah. or the video game, we were able to change somebody's ratings by the very end. So we'll yeah, see. That did, that did happen. It couldn't mm-hmm. have been Sean's. He's stubborn. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Rude. We were um, able to convince yeah, him. We broke him down well, and got him to shift. But yeah. Well, uh, in post, just just beep beep that out so nobody, uh, <laughs> nobody, hears, that. nobody hears what I says. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll there. we'll build the suspension for it. Yeah. Um, well, surprisingly, Ryan also saw it. He doesn't like horror movies, so I want to hear what Ryan thinks about it. Indeed. So yeah, I I knew nothing of this film going into it. Never saw the trailer. Never had heard of it until for the box office. Uh, episode the previous weekend when we were doing the predictions for it. That was my first time hearing of it. And then I was seeing on Letterboxd, it was getting a lot of attention, a lot of traction. So I was like, okay, interesting. And people were bringing up that it was, for the reasons that you guys are bringing up, it was somewhat divisive in the way that it was able to shift its tone. Um, 
And then it had some like twists and turns here that and some very unexpected moments. And so that intrigued me. And it didn't seem like one of those horror films because I'd also seen some comments that were comparing it to other like social commentary horrors and things like that, like Jordan Peele's work. And so that stuff I can handle for sure. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll give it a try. Dylan and I and some friends went out to go see it. Um, and so I agree with you, the experience of being in there, because there were quite a few people. Like there were more people in that theater um, when we went to go see it than there were for Don't Worry Darling. We, we all went same to go see it last night. Actually. Yeah, same for yeah, us. I was, was pretty surprised. <laughs> so yeah, it was a good experience, like just hearing everyone's reactions to certain things. Um, and then it was also interesting getting to pick up on the responses that didn't seem to be intended by the film. Like there's some moments where it seems like we're supposed to be cowering in our seats and people were chuckling. And we'll get to that as we discuss particular plot points in the film. But I will say I can appreciate the massive commitment it made to doing the tone shift. We'll talk about why you guys didn't truly like it. But and I was like, I'm not a huge fan of it. I just think it is respectable that they decided to go all out with that tone shift and then try to strike a balance between the more like comedic elements and absurd elements and then the horror stuff and i'll agree that i don't think it ever really is able to get back to the height of its horror tension building suspense building that it had in the first act but it was still enjoyable watching throughout it but yeah i'm not a huge horror film anyway so when it was just like a straight horror flick there were problems that burden a lot of the genre which is protagonists making the most stupid decisions imaginable That's what they do instead though. of running out the other direction getting as far as way as possible like i know that's the buy-in you make as an audience member going into a horror film but it always frustrates me whenever that happens i wish they would make it so that it's a little bit more believable that they have to go into that scary tunnel and have to do this particular thing i think this film there were so many times and even, again, there were like groans in the audience anytime uh, Tess, the main character, would go back somewhere that clearly she shouldn't be going to. But yeah, overall, I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but I can appreciate a lot of the uh, big commitments that it made, a lot of the bold moves that they decided to go for. So yeah, we'll go ahead and get into the specifics now. And why don't we start out with the beginning portion when it was just that basic setup of two people have double booked an Airbnb. We follow Tess, a woman who's showing up late at night, trying to get into this Airbnb. And then she comes to find out there's some man that she doesn't know that's in there. And we get that uh, pretty real life uneasiness of, yeah, we're getting into spoilers now, this real life uneasiness of her trying to figure out where am I going to stay tonight? When all the motels are booked up everywhere, I can't sleep in the car because the neighborhood is all uh, like not the best. And then do I stay in this house with this strange man that I do not know? And so it is nice that they're able to draw on like these real world terrors that people would have, especially women would have in this sort of situation. So I do think it did well with that and with things like, you know, having Bill Skarsgård be the Keith person like the person that booked the airbnb so in the back of your mind you're thinking when is he gonna pull out the pennywise so 
yeah, I think that stuff was pretty strong. What were your guys' reaction to it? Because, Sean, yeah, you really enjoyed this opening part. So yeah, what about I it worked thought, for you? It was it was so – I thought it was just so, like – I hate you. I hate the term world building because that implies that there's, like, more than just the movie being built, in my opinion. But, like, the way they built the characters and the setting and, like, what was, like – what we're diving into I thought was great because – Something I forgot to talk about, like, in general, whenever I talk to people about this film, is the beginning portion specifically, like, before she's inside, like, the the Airbnb. It technically, it was really, like, pleasing to me. Because, like, the darkness completely covers the entire neighborhood, so you can't see, like, the other houses. And the, the lighting of just the, the porch light and, like, the street lights mixed with the rain with like the sounds of that it's it, it, it just set that like really nice ambiance of like okay she's at a hotel and stuff's already uh airbnb and stuff's already going wrong what are we going to get into next and I, I i think it's while i agree with a point you said earlier in like what you thought of it that i think these characters just make the dumbest decisions <laughs> i just think it's i think it was a nice way to build them because they both like, even though Keith was more, like, understanding than Tess was, he also kind of judged her a bit like she did. And I think it was because she judged him, he judged her that way. Like, it, it was weird how they went from very negative, like, misunderstandings toward each other to, like, this weird, like, kind of creepy, but, like, positive understandings of each other. Because there, it just felt weird that she went from this is not okay to just listening to him and be like, Oh, okay, sure. And then they just kept going and they kept like building this relationship, which is a dumb decision, but I like how that's being built. Cause you really think Keith is Keith's going to just turn, like flip the switch. He's going to flip that switch soon because he also thinks it's weird, but he's making it so much more creepier how calm he is. Like right. it's just, it's so good. I think the suspense building is so good sure there's not much of like a story yet obviously because it's only like the first what 30 minutes hour but i like just the 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 exposition of like the easy setting of we don't get much yet we just get these two people don't know what's going on they're trying to figure it out and they're not trying like to leave or like create a panic they're trying to just figure things out just the two of them and then stuff just gets weird I thought it was great. I, I think oh, they should have just kept with it. They really should have just kept with it. <laughs> That's that. We'll get into that. <laughs> gotcha. <clears throat> what about you, Brett? So I agree with Sean on a lot of those <laughs> those key points. Um, it was just like the the casting for that was was perfect. Like you've got Bill Skarsgård who has um, been in these horror roles before. You know he's. Not to say he's a creepy looking dude, but he's tall and he's got like that presence of just like, hey, you know, I'm here. And they put him in a role where he seemed very awkward and fumbly and and um, like, hey, I don't trust this person. And it really makes you judge the person at, for what they are. And, and you're like, oh, this is what's going to happen. So they build on that cliche. Um and that's that's what they run with is like this is the cliche horror movie he's gonna flip the switch just like sean was saying um but i i feel like that first half is like 
it it was just the the suspense was was very like when is he gonna flip that switch? What is going on? Because uh, there was a scene where um after they after he had like washed he went out washed her sheets and everything came back to the house and um then uh they like made the bed she had the room and everything and and she checked his ID whatever and um that night like somebody opened up the door and we know that it wasn't um bill be uh, for like from the omnipotent like not omnipotent but like uh the like the viewpoint of the camera showed that there was somebody else that was in the basement um and that's where it's like okay well that kind of gives us like is is bill skarsgård working with somebody else is keith working with somebody else like it, it are there other people in the house and that's another thing where even though they've they've given you that evidence of it's not him you're still going like he's in on it and um they really that's that's what they wanted you to think and and that's why they casted such a um a wonderful actor just like bill skarsgård to do that role is because he just exudes that that (laughs) that like menacing just there's something off here appeal and that's that's what really got me on the edge of my my seat biting my fingernails and eating my popcorn was watching those interactions (laughs) (laughs) i couldn't get a i couldn't get a regal pepsi but because we're at the amc but uh it, it was it was one of those moments where okay like this is this is making me uneasy with how he's building that trust with her and building that, that scenario and like luring her in. So it's like that whole time you're, you're thinking that he's trying to lure her in. And then the expectation for that is, is, is subverted and it, it changes. And, and that's where um, I think the movie did a wonderful, a wonderful job um, building that, that tension, breaking that tension, but still making you wonder, like you have it in the back of your head, like, okay, this guy's going to do something um even though the movie is proving to you that he's not they're showing you that he's not going to do that they're showing you all of this stuff but us as an audience are just so accustomed to that genre and that's just the way things are it's just you don't trust them and that's that's what the movie was trying to get across and that's what they did that part very well in the first half and that's what i really liked about it I, I, I wanted to I wanted to expand upon the casting of Bill Skarsgård specifically because like the way that the they wrote his lines too you may you you you, you said be, you said it before I was gonna say like he is like in indirectly like luring her in like there's so many points where he's like well you can't get another hotel because there's some convention going on so you might as well stay here oh you can have the bedroom don't worry i i don't mind being out here like just just stay like i'd rather you stay here than stay in your car because it's not a safe neighborhood uh hey you should have some wine because it'll calm us like they see like it's really creepy it's so good it's so good the 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 dialogue and like what he does with it it fits his character so well because he's a very tall lengthy creepy man (laughs) i love bill skarsgård but that's what he's good at doing and it, it was just, it's like, if you cast someone else, I don't think it would have worked this well. Like, cause he could have said it the same way. He could have acted the same way, but then he doesn't have like that, that exact like look slash personality to him to carry that character forward. And that's why it's just more upsetting for like what happens personally. Cause I think it's just, <laughs> it just, it just, they just build it so well. Like the writing literally fits him. 
and they yeah i just wanted to i wanted to throw that out there and agree with you because the character building it's just so good i can't right. talk enough about how they build that character in the beginning yeah i agree that that part was extremely well done and i think it shined through in the at least for me when he had the wine bottle and then the mm-hmm. two glasses and he was just sitting out waiting for her to get done with the shower because he's like oh i don't know if you would trust it if I'd opened it before he got here, so I waited until he got here so you could see me open it, so you know that I didn't poison it or anything. And it's who him. says that? Just pour well, yeah, the wine. <laughs> it's one of those things. That? Well, yeah, but it's one of those things where, like, if you, because you would know, okay, she probably thinks this is some weird, strange man. She's going through all the possibilities of what I might do to her, and so you want to assure her, like, no, 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 like it'll be okay. I'm just trying to help you out. But at the same time, same. that's every step that someone who is a crazy serial rapist murderer would do in order to lure you in as you guys were pointing out. So it's great because he's doing all the right things, but they still make us uneasy because we don't trust him because of what we know of him as an actor. And then we don't trust him as well because of what we know of the genre and the type of movie we're seeing. So it's, it's really well done in terms of building that suspense. Um, I was going to say that, uh, when, when I was in the theater and he had, he had previously made her tea and then he was like, Hey, I noticed you didn't make like drink your tea. I just wanted to open the bottle in front of you. Um, I, I looked, I looked over, I don't, I forget who I was sitting next to, but I, I, I reached over and I was like, I said, he, he, that's like a bottle that he brought from home. Like that's like his own wine that he, he made. Like I, I made up these connections and these conclusions in my head that, are so far fetched, but I was like, yeah, so that's the only way that this is going to progress is that he did poison the wine, but he like brought it from home that he like corked and bottled himself and like fermented. So it's still got like the bubbles and whatnot inside of the wine. I was like, so here I am in the theater drawing all these sort of crazy conclusions to, to get to where, um, to, to further the point and further, uh, further the presence of, of, that this guy has to be a bad guy because of, of what, where we are. Um, and so um, it's, it's just commendable to the director um, and the writers for that. Um, you know, you got me um, an avid movie watcher and I like to enjoy films. You got me thinking about some sort of outlandish um, idea that, that, there has this guy has to be the bad guy and i'm coming up with all these crazy conclusions in my head while i'm watching the movie it's like that's that's why the first half is good because um yes my expectations are subverted and that's a good way of doing it however later on is not a good way of doing it is is what we'll get into but um just very very good writing so we know that the writers have that that talent to to bring out that emotion from me and that thought process from me and sean and um other enjoyers of of the of the craft you know indeed movie enjoyers all movie enjoyers everywhere how lovely um so yeah the other major element to that opening act like the first 30 minutes would be her exploring the basement and then the tunnel and then the weird scary murder rape room that's in the tunnel um and again that's where a lot of the like why would you go down that tunnel like come on she even does the (laughs) thing where she's like nope she pulls out (laughs) the other jordan peele film from earlier this year and Mm -hmm. says nope but then 
10 seconds later goes into it um which also again personally if you were faced with this situation are you guys tiptoeing down that scary tunnel or would you be bolting it down to that door and trying to opening it if you think that that's supposed to be like the way outside even though it obviously if you're in the basement and there's a door down there that's not leading to the outside but whatever say she's going to this door because she thinks that's what it'll do are you gonna like inch your way there or you rush in there because i would be sprinting down that tunnel to try and avoid whatever might reach out and grab me so again it's just those things where it's like come on you're doing this because the film itself you want to get scary and so you have to make us you know build that suspension and unease as you're getting closer and closer and we think oh something's gonna jump out of the darkness right next to her but yeah, yeah but they don't that's why it's that's which why i do think it was restrained so in that way but yeah it's weird because it felt like it was almost too long you know what i mean like i felt like we were waiting a long time for something to happen to where nothing happened when she was exploring because mm-hmm. nothing happened right away until she was until um keith got home to like help her get out like it was a great sequence for us waiting for something to happen but i i really like that nothing happened i like this this is the, like the one time i can say like in, a, in like a horror-ish movie i like the slow build of, of like her walking down the tunnel to then just seeing that room with the stuff in it and it's like more questions like what is this room for why is it behind this wall in the basement? And then it, it's there's just so many questions. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't sprint down there. I wouldn't even go in. I, <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. You don't go in at all. But if you're gonna go yeah. in, you I wouldn't even pull that it over with. That open the door. Like, why are you pulling True. the rope? <laughs> yeah. How? Like, what are you trying to do? You know where the window is. Just break the window and pay for it later. At that point, like, do we? She already and she does that later on. She breaks the window later. Exactly. Like, what, just do it the first time, and all that would have been avoided. But like, I'm yeah, I'm not opening that door. That 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 be that freaked me out. I just I do I do think it's great to see how slowly they build up what's gonna come. To just destroy all that and ruin it, but the, the, at the beginning, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, so personally, if I were if I were in that predicament, I would uh, probably go back up to the top of the door. Which, by the way, they did a good job of not showing that the door because they showed the door closing a couple times. Um, but the first time that the door closed, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, they didn't show who closed the door or like that the door was closing by itself and it was just a dumb door um they so like you 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 get that impression i'm talking about like the top staircase door by the way yeah. um yeah you get the impression that keith closed the door or somebody closed the door to trap her down there um and so that was i i think a good um another good like hey you're thinking wrong you're thinking like my what i was originally thinking was wrong again so they did a really good job of like leading these little paper trails to like, like, Oh, look, you're gonna, you're gonna figure it out. And then you're not, you're not going to figure it out at all until you, like, <laughs> uh, until you watch the whole thing. Um, but to answer your question, Ryan, um, if I were in that predicament, I would probably try the top door more than, you know, Oh, wow. I banged it with my shoulder twice. Um, uh, like it, before I go find a like I would not walk down that scary tunnel and I don't think I would run down that scary tunnel. I think it would take a couple, it would take a very long time of me building up the courage to go down that tunnel <laughs> to eventually look at that other door. Cause basements are scary. Um, 
Uh, yeah, we shout out to Florida, Florida. without, <laughs> thankfully, we got no basements, so shout out to Florida yeah, all for I that. Got our, all I got is an attic I'm scared of. That's yeah. true. They are a little spooky, but I would say yeah. not as spooky as basements, for sure. Because oh, yeah, at least with an attic, you know there's not going to be a huge, like, catacomb tunnel. It's easier to get into a basement than an attic, I feel like. Does that make sense? Yeah. Easier to get in or out? What do you, what'd you it, say? Th- like, I feel like if, like, someone was going to, like, sneak in, I I don't know why. I feel like it's easier to, like, somehow get into someone's basement than to get in someone's attic. You know what I mean? I guess, yeah. Does, does it make any sense? Because, like, all you like, gotta do is, like, go downstairs in a way. In attic, you have to, like, get in the house and, like, open up, like, a whole, like, f- like vault almost down and, like, get the <laughs> ladder down and then, like, go in. Or you'd, like, climb to, like, the, the second story of, like, I don't know. I just feel like a basement's easier i could be completely wrong it's <laughs> e- feel like it's easier you're saying that it's easier for somebody to like hide out and live in a basement than it is to like yes. live in an attic okay yes. yeah i agree with that <laughs> yeah i agree with that can't wait until barbarian 2 where they're yeah. in an attic <laughs> well sean has experience with falling through attics you really got to be careful with uh um where you where you foot where you step that's very true My where mom you foot. <laughs> almost fell <laughs> where you foot where you where, you, where your foot placement is there we go yeah. Imagine it all took place in an attic and <laughs> the mother just falls through like seconds into <laughs> Whoa, the freaking airplane. <laughs> that would be good though. That would be a good like horror moment. You, yeah. Like you're running and then the monster's overhead and every now and then she just bursts through parts of the yeah. ceiling. That'd be pretty cool. You know that I, I know that that's like really like jumping the gun, but like that's a really good thing to talk about is like who is the quote-unquote monster in this film obviously after we finish talking about everything that's like the best question to discuss because brad and i watched uh, a lot of videos after the film about like who the monster really is so yeah it's just uh, it's just funny you calling it the monster and i'm like oh, i don't really i don't know but true who is the monster this right is i like think it's mary shelley frankenstein scenario <laughs> yeah here. very true i think it is obvious though like who if we're gonna call it the barbarian like who that is supposed to represent (laughs) but the mother slash monster thing is still i would say like a monster you can call them all monsters and you can say well one is from their environment was not allowed to be anything else which i would agree with but yeah once you smash somebody's head in 18 times (laughs) i think you can probably be lumped into the monster camp you gotta also so, factor in <laughs> kidnapping people as well and also very true yeah keeping yeah i wonder force breastfeeding them yeah you know we never really asked that question how many times has she done that because the um, the homeless man outside like knows about it you know and he's he, remember he said like i've been living here for 30 40 whatever it is like how long has she been doing that for um you, you know i have a theory that maybe the reason why the neighborhood is as decrepit is that she went house to house like Santa. No, I'm joking. <laughs> she's coming she through their the she, went to- <laughs> <laughs> she started in the attic and now she's in the basement. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that is an interesting question of how long has she been doing that? Because again, we were told there's multiple generations. So were the previous generations of those like products of incest were they all the like kidnapping people and then trying to keep them in the basement or is she the only one that's doing that we'd also talked about last night after their 
watching the movie that wasn't barbarian but we still ended up talking about barbarian we were like why aren't there other monsters slash mothers where's the rest of them if they're supposed to be like all these <laughs> generations wouldn't there be more and then we're talking about you know how that would have made it be... more scary if there were more or like a bigger one that even she was afraid of that definitely would have been an interesting possibility to explore yeah i wouldn't even be mad if like in like those cages or like on the floor and like the one like purple room like where she was watching the the tv like if they were like dead other like of the kids on the floor like the like the something because be because cool. like we we just saw no trace of anything remember those cages yeah exactly if they i'm saying or if they were in those cages yeah i don't remember I, that there were like, actually there's anything just in there. no trace the only trace we have of any of the other like women in general are like the idea of them from those tapes that the guy had yeah um, like even just like skeletal remains, like you don't have to get all crazy and morbid, just like some sort of remains or remnants or anything like that. There were others because, um, the, the idea that they build is that it's been going on for generations that this, that this, uh, um, and feel free to stop if, if you think we're going way too far into the movie, but, um, like that, this, that this guy in the basement has been like going like he's been doing this for generations and like repeating the process over and over again with the same um like having children with children and then like you know um i i feel like there should be or at least there there has to be some sort of remnant some sort of sign something in that house to um or in that basement that sub basement to tie that all together because it just does not feel um it doesn't feel like in terms of like how Sean was saying world building, everything else seemed um, legit and it, it had a, a reason like, Oh, you can't go because of this. Like then once you start getting into the, the basement part, it's just, that's where the movie starts to like devolve. And it's like, okay, well now we're getting the plot holes. Now we're getting like the, the like things aren't as well thought out. Things aren't um, um, as, correct as you'd want them to be um so that i think that's the first part of the movie where things start to go to on the decline is that um we don't have any evidence of anything happening in the past we just have this monster or, or that we perceive as a monster in that moment because um it's scary <laughs> so <laughs> they need right. they need um they need more they needed more um more attention to detail in those moments to make it really feel more genuine right for sure and then yeah as you brought up like there are so many questions and without any answers provided to them like we are left to just speculate on them and then consider them as plot holes in a way with the horror genre like there's always a an amount of creative uh like liberty that they're able to take in terms of things not being super realistic like that'll always be the case but when we were told that it's like she is one in a long line of like this incestual incestuous relationship that that one guy is doing which by the way what was his name did we ever get a name for that guy david 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 was it, david? Like dave. it was like dave or david i know that when you put sure. on the the uh the, the uh, outfit the jumpsuit it was the jumpsuit said carlos I yeah. like, his neighbor called him david 
pretty sure. I think so. Well, his name certainly isn't Carlos, but it does bring up the question of why was he wearing that jumpsuit when he doesn't look like a Carlos? And then also his neighbor (laughs) said David to him while he's wearing the jumpsuit that says Carlos. Why wasn't he like, hey, bud, why are you wearing that jumpsuit that isn't your name? Like, hello? So, yeah, things like that were a little weird. But then also, yeah, are we meant to believe that? Again, we don't know how like long this has been going on. Like in the 80s, apparently he was like when Reagan was just elected, he was getting uh, like baby supplies. So we're assuming maybe that's like the first baby that came from his like kidnapping and keeping people in the dungeon. But then, okay, so we're supposed to assume this is 40 years from now. There's not like that many generations that could have taken place. And then also, I don't think no matter how long the like incestuous line goes, I don't think you suddenly become an absolute superhuman that can oh burst through God. walls, rip people's <laughs> arms off. Like that stuff seems a little outlandish. And again, it's like a horror yeah. film. And so we're supposed to be like, okay, I mean, we'll allow things to happen that wouldn't happen in real life. But still, it was sort of weird how they tried to give it a grounded like origin story. But then this quote unquote monster is just so far outside the realm of what would be realistic that it, I don't know, it leaned into like a very campy, ridiculous territory that took some of the like suspense and tension and true horror out of it for me. Um, to piggyback off of that, I feel like um, with the way that they were, um, that they were going with this, like trying to subvert your expectations, maybe that was the director and writers, um, the, their thought. And that's what they wanted because they wanted this thing to be, outlandish and inhuman as far human from possible but still human um that way they could have the the ties back to um them not being a monster so we can relate with them later however they also wanted to make it like okay obviously this is the monster this is the quote-unquote barbarian of the 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 situation um so i feel like they did that in an over-exaggerated manner for a reason um but also if you're trying to build this like this idea that like you said is in the realm of oh this is possible i feel i feel like it should have been a bit more grounded and that would have made it a better experience the monster was scary the not the monster but the the mother we'll call it is <laughs> uh was scary um and and it was like grotesque so i feel like they did that part in in on purpose but also um, they did that to, um, so that way they could tie back. But I just feel like it could have been um, executed better with um, with the theme had they gone like a different route, you know? Right. So. Yeah. And let's talk now about the the big shift that the movie does that you guys particularly don't like so uh, yeah let's just unpack why exactly it didn't work for you guys um again for me i thought it was okay i just i appreciate more their willingness to go through with like such a big change in tone um and i do think parts of it were pretty funny like when they go to make it a little bit more goofy with the justin long character and then he's down there with the tape measure I thought that gag was pretty funny, like when he was in the murder room doing that and starting down the cavern, like the deep tunnel. Um, 
I think it goes too long because at a certain point, mm-hmm. again, no one's going to be like once you start seeing these animal cages and again, the, t- the tunnel is still going for such a, a long time. Like, I don't think you're going to be like just still happy go lucky about getting more square footage for your home. So, yeah, that it went a little too far, but I do enjoy just the gag itself. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the character and the tone shift and why you guys weren't the biggest fan of it. So, Sean, start popping off. So the best way I describe it and the way I described it when I first talked about it with Brett is like if you start at the if you start with the beginning of the film and it's like it's a rising of exposition and like plot building and eventually reach that climax of when you discover like the mother and then like it kills Keith. You're you're going in this upward um, like diagonal, like on like a graph or whatever. Like you're you're building, you're building. You don't know what's going on. All the suspense is building, the world building, the character building, all that. And I think it's great. And you get to this climax where like it's also kind of halfway through the film, maybe like not exactly halfway, but it's like is that a good is that a good point in the film where it's like a good thirty minutes hour in, and then it just it cuts to black and you go into this completely different area of like the world where it's like sunshine and happiness until you find out that the character that you're now introduced is just an asshole. So it feels like you're restarting back at like that beginning and you're regrowing like how you just did. So it felt (laughs) like you're growing and then you stop and fall because you're like a new story almost. You don't realize it's still the same thing, but then would you say it's somewhat similar to the structure the Last of Us Part Two did. Oh my God! Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> or seeing <And> why. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing that I still stand by from my Last of Us Two thing. If they introduced the character earlier, I feel like it would have been better. Mm-hmm. Like with it's Abby and Last of Us Two. If Abby was introduced earlier, or play, or you played as her like before, in some way. I would have liked her more. I don't like AJ at all. And I don't care if anyone says that's the point of his character. (laughs) Of course it is. Like, of course I'm not going to like him. But as a character in like the plot and the cast and everything, I didn't think it worked. Or at least the way I wanted it to, I should say, because obviously it's not my film. I like, I like goofy horror films too. Like if the film's meant to be goofy, but still a horror, that's fine. I just didn't, I didn't like the tease of, ooh, this is a suspenseful, creepy thriller that you haven't gone in a long time. And boom, this weird incest mother is now destroying Bill Skarsgård. Where's it going to go next? Oh, AJ, this rapist that you don't know is actually a rapist is going back to Detroit to the, dude, it's just, it's just. It, I just don't like it. I don't like it. There's so many things wrong with his writing too. I don't like his writing compared to what they do with Keith and Keith just doesn't exist in the film after he fuck, uh, dies. <laughs> like it's, uh, I just, I'm so damn, you shouldn't have said the last of us thing. You shouldn't have said <laughs> that. Cause now, now I'm just going on and on about it. Right. I, I'll, I'll stop there for now. Cause I want to hear everyone else's point, but like that, that's where I draw it. Um, right. So, so from my perspective, you can respect the whiplash you get from like from that like i'm still guessing like what's going on like i'm like okay this is a completely different direction and i'm here for that i'm like okay yes let's change the tone um but personally 
like I said earlier, I like to figure things out throughout the movie. And I feel like one of my major problems with the writing of that character is in comparison to the beginning, um, for Keith's character, it, it it's that, you know, I, I don't like this guy. He's making me uneasy. And you're constantly thinking that he's going to become the bad guy. Um, and he's going to be this malicious person. Um, and then when you do the reverse of that and you just take a malicious person, but then try to give them any sort of credibility, I feel like it doesn't work the same way. So I would have preferred if they, in the last half after the tone shift, I would have preferred if they didn't just directly spoon feed the idea that this guy's an asshole because he was, um, like even on the phone call, he was like, uh, hey, these are very serious charges that you could be faced with. Like they're saying that you raped her. And then he's just like, well, are we going ahead with the pilot then? Like, I don't understand. Like, um, it's just like, there's no work for the audience member to think about like, oh, there's no internal struggle with the audience member of like, oh, is this a redeeming person? Is this that? Because I feel like for that specifically, like, we're not judging a book by its cover at that point. And I feel like that's the theme that the, that the movie is trying to get you to do is, is judge the book by the cover. Um, but when somebody just outright says that they are the monster and like, I did rape this person, I did um, do this. And um, you can see that, that they're obviously an, an asshole and they don't let you work for that. Like they don't, I feel like they could have done a way better job if they had not just outright made him the class A asshole like that they did. I feel like if you just weave it in and like make it a more realistic scenario like they did for the first half of the movie, um, I feel like it it worked. It would it would have worked way better. Um, I don't know if it's a writing thing. I don't know if it was just Justin Long himself that was like. <laughs> what what it was because he's been in the he's been in movies for a super long time so he definitely knows how to act and he knows how to um like portray himself on on film um so i feel like it could have been a writing thing where it sounds so good on paper they had it they caught lightning in a bottle um but it sounds good on paper but the execution i feel like was the lackluster portion of that it was just after we addressed that he's a monster it's like that he that like he did that i had i just knew that he was just going to be an asshole because he and there was there was no his character felt flat at that point so about that because it they although i don't think they were earnestly doing it or like genuinely doing it they were playing with the idea of is he going to get redemption in some sort of way where you see him come into contact with a worse monster than him, like the serial rapist David, who has tapes of all this stuff. And we see AJ look at that, be horrified by it, and then call him like a sicko monster. So he's seeing like someone that is even more horrible than he is, and he rejects that, right? Mm -hmm. And then we see him later like trying to after shooting Tess by accident, yeah. which was again ridiculous, he then starts like trying to pick her up and then bring her out and save her. And then we see 
again, the way they played it was definitely not to be sincere, but when he's going through this little monologue of, oh, maybe I'm not a bad person. I just did a bad thing. Like, this is what I need to do to fix this. So they're playing with that idea of, oh, is he going to come to terms with the fact that he is actually the monster in this sort of thing? And also what they do with the, like the mother, like doing the force feeding, the breastfeeding, um, Mm -hmm. which can obviously be compared to like, oh, his, like a non-consensual act um, that is being forced upon him. Now he's able to like understand the feeling that um, his victim had. So they're like playing with that idea of, is this going to be a character that starts out as a total schmuck that everyone, like, as you said, there's no work to be done on the audience's part in order to come to that conclusion about who this guy is. But is he going to go on that journey of becoming better? And, oh, at the end of it, is he going to, like, turn himself in or something and realize he was a monster, he was a barbarian, and that sort of thing? So, again, I don't think they truly lean into that to, like, make you think this is where it could be going, but... Um, did you you didn't feel at any point in the film that there was a possibility of like a redemption arc for him or you were just certain that he was going to remain this bad guy that's going to get killed um for me i honestly um at that point in the movie like that's that's kind of what i'm saying is that if they took it in a more serious route i would have been able to understand that but at that point when the when the film was starting to take itself as a joke, I was taking the film as a joke. Mm-hmm. So at that point, they've already lost my interest because of all of the stupid things that they that the characters were doing. Even more stupid than like, oh, Tess is going down into the basement. Now it's, I'm going down into the basement for money, for greed reasons. It's like, you're giving me this this theme and you're, you're, you're shoving it down my throat at this point. And you're just like, this is what I want you to see. It's like, okay, I understand. I understand. It's like they're, they just stop taking the film seriously. I feel. And that's, that's where it, 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 it really fell flat for me because I was like, this guy is so dim and his character like is just, he's, he's stubborn and unchanging. Cause he did have the, the, um, the, the moment in the basement where he was with David and, he, I feel like, in my opinion, I was just, since I've already established him as an asshole, um, in my head when I saw that, I was like, he's not going to change because now he's perceiving somebody as doing something worse than what he did. You know what I mean? He's, already, he's, right. seen, he's seen like something worse. So that makes his crime seem less of, a, of an impact because at least he didn't do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's how I gathered the information from the film is that yes the guy did do all that but i feel like david did so much more and probably because we never know what what he did we just know that the person that he um was very persistent with did not consent and he he raped them but we don't know to what extent the video goes that he watched and we don't know to what extent happened with the his his uh partner on the in the pilot so that's why there's no like um I just figured that um he would think that oh I didn't do at least I didn't do that to the person that I did it to and that's the direction that I got from the the movie is that since he's an asshole he was going to take it at face value and be like oh well at least I didn't do that or like you're a monster you're sick you can't do that 
but have this self-righteous, like narcissistic personality that he's built up this whole time that says, you can't do it, but I can. And that's the mentality that I got from from Justin Long's character is that he's going to be that flat asshole the entire time. So it did not subvert my expectations when he just ended up being that flat asshole from the time he was on camera to the time he left the camera. His character had no development and I didn't feel like the movie wanted him to have development. And that's, that's how I feel about the character. And that's why I feel like the last half is lackluster because it just, he didn't change. And there was attempt that he was supposed to change, but I don't think that he actually did. We I agree. He certainly didn't change, but yeah, I think at least at some uh, at some moments they wanted to flirt with the idea that maybe he could change and that could be a possibility. But again, even in the like the false redemption moment um, where he's like talking that through, they play it in such a way where it's it's like so ridiculous. Like you're meant to be it's kind laughable. of like laughing at it because you know yeah. it's not going to actually happen. So. Yeah, yeah, they didn't commit to it too much. But then also, I mean, it makes sense because um, like at a certain point, they were probably like, oh, do I really want to even make a genuine attempt at a like a <clears throat> redemption arc for this person who is confirmed to be a rapist and a bad guy? Um, but yeah, I agree that it would have been more complex and more nuanced and more interesting if they had done that route. But yeah, I think they more so wanted to just have this goofy gimmicky character that you know is a bad guy introduce some interesting points of like juxtaposing him with an even worse guy in david um and then again drawing the parallels between who's a real monster like the the mother who's grotesque visually we're scared of her but like this person who tess you know doesn't know his history but she's like trying to help aj um at the cost of her own well-being um, I do think that was an interesting point that they were bringing up with um, with that sort of dynamic there and her trying to constantly save him, even though she knew the truth, knew what the audience knew, she would obviously leave him in the basement and go and save herself. But yeah, the tower scene, which is just the last point I want to bring up about the film before I move on. What do you all think? Because that was like the peak of oh ridiculousness and wackiness, <laughs> which again, I think was partially intentional but yeah it was just it, I, it, was it had to have been it had to have been intentional like the whole audience thought like was they were either <laughs> like laughing or they were like what am i watching right and i in some cases i feel like that works but when you split the theme and the and in my opinion the like the overall plot of like what's about to happen like I just didn't like it. Like, I think the first time watching, I'm like, that's funny. You know, like, yeah, it's like when I first watched Hereditary, the first time I watched uh, the mother, like kind of floating in the air, I was like, that's funny. But I know when I watch it the second time, I'm not going to think it's funny. And the difference with Hereditary is that's supposed to be more scary and must be more like creepy. This is supposed to be funny. I really feel like this is supposed to be funny. Right. And like, Which is just like the way I thought of it. Do in what was mostly supposed to be like a horror thriller type film. Exactly. It's weird that you would have your climax focus on something that is just, it's just a hilarious shot to see the mother like dive over <laughs> yeah. the tower. It also just makes no sense when we go back to like how she has like superhuman powers. How do you jump off a water tower, catch someone midair, turn your body and land on your like back and spine and head and have like severe damage to all, but you can still moving literally split someone's skull in half. 
I know. And then even before that, the the way that AJ chucked Tess off, like he grabbed her by yeah, the scalp and then jumped her. <laughs> I was like, dude. And she went so far over the tower, dude, like way over the fence as well. I was like, AJ, what the heck? If you're that strong, aren't you just fighting with the monster yourself? Like you'd, you'd win? I mean, the way you just dragged her across the tower and then flung her so far, that was also so ridiculous it's the wrong way to use slow-mo in my opinion yeah when they're when she's like looking at the camera and then the camera turns and you just see this big giant woman just jump off and catch it I, like i'm I not gonna laugh at that again i'm not gonna laugh at that again so they're not gonna get their point across if i ever watch it again like this is um sorry. I, I feel like at that moment in in that that's like so, it was a ridiculous it, like i'm not trying to sugarcoat this at all that was a ridiculous <laughs> shot like what are you doing um <laughs> but but i feel like in that moment that was supposed to be the redeeming arc for um the mother in a sense because that's like oh she's like sacrificing herself to save tess who has been the hero character this entire time i feel like okay. we haven't touched on that at all but tess is definitely like the hero of this story it's like tess is the the like she might not be the smartest and make the best decisions, but she's definitely the most righteous out of any of the characters that we have come across. And she's like the, the hero quote unquote of the story. So um, I feel like that was like the redemption arc for the mother um, to be jumping off and like sacrificing herself almost. I feel like it would have been better if she just died at that moment instead of that. Then we don't have like this. Wow. Why she is superhuman. Like then we just see, <laughs> see it for its own thing. Like, um, well, hold on. Cause I guess that, that, um, also brings into the question of Tess's character of how righteous she is because she did shoot the, the I think that's a righteous choice. <laughs> I yeah. think what she, she already well, went through, which was being captive by her for like three weeks. She's seen her kill two innocent people, Keith, and then the like homeless guy. Three. Oh, well, three with AJ. But yeah, she doesn't know like AJ. Well, I guess she did at that point since he tried to yeah. kill her multiple times. But even then, she's like, this person is dangerous. And even though, again, like it's unfortunate her circumstances, like how she was raised, obviously it's not ideal. But also, it's still like this is clearly like a in a wild animal in a sense. So yeah, it's more it's of like be putting it down. out of its misery. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Well said. Yeah, um, that thing like that mother should not have been born. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, that it should never have suffered the way it did, lived and grew up the way it did. So, it, it in a way, it was kind of like it should have happened. But still, it's like um, the the difference of I guess um, you could bring it up as like culture versus nurture like that's the only environment that that the mother was in aj had the opportunities to um not be like that not mm -hmm. be like a monster like that but that's the only thing that the mother um knew so tower scene jumping off probably was like the the, the most ridiculous like yeah this movie's <laughs> a joke moment for me but i feel like it was supposed to um if we're going at face value redeem the redeem the mother's character as in like yes she saved the hero of the story um so is the mother really the monster is what they were trying to get across but in, in the most yeah. crazy way you could think of like <laughs> like i can't even imagine the storyboard room like okay and then 
then uh, AJ's just going to pick up Tess and throw her off the building, and the the mother's going to run past AJ and and dive off the cliff and, and just save Tess. I'm like, who would say yes? Put it into put it in the put it into printing. Like the whitest kids, you know. That's yeah. what it's, yes. And I didn't know that until we started this that it was the whitest kids, you know. Like that, it, it honestly kind of makes sense now. Yeah, that um, definitely does <laughs> give a bit more understanding. Yeah, it brings some light to the situation, but um, yeah, it was a very crazy, not in a good way scene for me. Um, yeah. But all right, so now for our rating, out of how many hair garnished milk bottle nipples out of five? Oh, we didn't talk about that. That's the grossest thing to me. I'm sorry. That's the grossest thing to me is when she was giving that bottle to them and there was just that long hair on that. That that beats <laughs> anything else. That the breastfeeding, the eye gouging, that that made me want to puke. I for sure. That was disgusting. That was a good horror moment. Right, anyway, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> so what would you give it? How many of those hair garnished milk bottle nipples? Um I think I'm. I think I said three, three out of five of those hair cards. <laughs> Sorry, that's <laughs> funny because it, it, it's overall like with the first time you watch it, it's very enjoyable. Like even even though what I said about like my gripes with the movie, it's still enjoyable. Like I didn't hate the second half. I just think the second half ruins the overall tone of the film for the first watch, at least because it it still is enjoyable. You're still learning about AJ. You're still figuring out what's going on. You find out that backstory with David. You get to watch, Gra- uh, I almost said Granny, uh, Mama Mama Incest Baby jump off a water tower. Like, it, it's enjoyable. It's just not my type of film. And I, like like you guys said, I can appreciate the effort that they went for, but I did not like the execution. So I think a solid three is fine for also not really being a scary movie. It was more just suspenseful. Like I can't think of anything that genuinely made me like jump. Does that, that makes any sense? Or like, you know, eh. yeah. For yeah. Sure. Um, for me, I feel like I would give it a, a 3.5 out of, out of five, um, uh, hair garnish nipple milk bottles. <laughs> um, but, um, I feel like, it it definitely had its merit and i i commend them for sticking to the same theme throughout the entire thing just like you said ryan and and sean just uh reiterated but um i feel like they could have done it in a more serious way especially with how i walked into the theater thinking that this was going to be like one of the scariest movies of maybe the year like one of the like you've got the cast you've got the the setting and afterwards you've got the story um, I feel like it just could have been executed in a better way because um, the 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 uh, I don't want to say plot, but the the theme of the movie is is a wonderful um, it's it's an it's an amazing theme. I really like that subverting expectations um, and like the the whole idea of like changing how you view each character as they come in. So I feel like if they played with that more, well, they did play with that. That was the whole point of the movie, but. Um, I feel like it could have been done a lot better had they just paid a bit more attention to how they made their characters in the last half instead of just like forcing the theme onto you, let you 
understand the theme in a more grounded way like they were in the first half. Um, but I, I would say 3.5 out of 10. Um, I think the Wait, scary... out of 10? Sorry, out of 5. Out of 5. Okay. 3.5 <laughs> I was out like, of whoa. Five. Um, crazy. I think like the scariest part for me was when they turned on the lights at the end of the movie and there was a child in the front row, like a toddler. Oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, and the, I was like, they brought a kid to see that. Like it, that was probably the scariest part. Um, but as advertised, I, I thought that I went in with a different <laughs> expectation. Um, as advertised. So I don't know. It was, it was, it was just, uh, would I want to it see it again? Movie. Probably not. I would watch the first half again. But the second half, I feel like, is just a big joke. So I, I wouldn't want to watch the second half again. I can just remember what happened. Gotcha. All right. I am giving it a two, which, again, is mostly derived from just not a big horror buff anyhow. So even the strongest parts of the film for you guys still had things in it that I, I mean, was not the biggest fan of. So. Yeah, overall, I do think the experience within the theater, like, did help it a lot. If I were just watching it at home, uh, I would not have had as much fun watching it and taking in all the ridiculousness of it. So, yeah, I'm giving it a two out of five. We are now going to start talking about the other film, the film that came out this weekend, Don't Worry Darling, coming from Olivia Wilde as director. This is her second film. The first one was Booksmart, which I loved. I think it came out back in 2019. Yeah, that was one of my favorites from that year. It was co-written by her and Katie Silberman, who wrote Booksmart. And then this was originally a script from The Blacklist, which is like this website where you could submit your scripts. And then every year they come up with uh, a bunch of ones that garnered the most interest from producers and uh, other people that are looking to get scripts going. And so this one was, I think, third in its particular year. And then it got picked up by, I think, the studio. And then Silverman and Wilde came on uh, to do it. And then, of course, the cast, star-studded, Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Chris Pine, Olivia Wilde herself in there, Jim and Chan. And then the craziest thing about the film, of course, is all the drama leading up to it from people getting spit on to Shia LaBeouf getting booted out of the film and then the truth about why he actually left being lied about by some folks a huge falling out between Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde so the making of for this film is quite interesting quite interesting might make for a better film than this film ended up turning out to be but we watched it last night We've had some time to sleep on it, mull over our reactions to it. And so now we will give our initial impressions and then move into spoiler talk. So again, if you haven't yet seen it, go out. It's in theaters now. And then return to hear our spoilery thoughts. But I'm going to go to Brett. We're going to start off with you. What are your initial thoughts about Don't Worry Darling? I think that this film um, really encapsulated a the style. Um, I think here, uh, yeah, like the 1950s town, like that, it really captured that. I think that the like set design, like the, the like, oh, you found this in a catalog. Like, did you get this like thing from it? They really honed in on a lot of those aspects 
and they shot it so well. Um, all, every shot was so colorful and, and vibrant and um, the characters were amazing, like costume wise, like what they were wearing. Um, everything was just, it was like a dream almost. And I'm guessing that was like symbolic. And the reason why they went that route was for a specific reason. Um, but it they did a very, very good job of shooting this this film. And I think that some of the um, art direction in this film was just it was it was probably some of the some of the best stuff I've seen in a in a while. Um, so I think in that regards, like everybody was doing a, a really good job of like acting their part and like you really felt like you were in this place, but the colors were popping. Like every, it was just a very beautiful thing to look at. Um, uh, especially for like the, the, the setting and the mystery behind it. You're thinking like, Oh wow, what is going on? Like what's going to happen? Just like, just like the previous, like what's going to happen in barbarian, like was suspenseful. This is just like a, I'm very intrigued. Like what is going to happen in this film? Like, like what, what is, what is happening with this town? Um, and whether or not they did a good job of explaining what was going on in the town and like what specific things were, it was still a, um, a good watch. And it was still like, if you're going to the theater to watch this, um, it, it's pretty much eye candy for the most part. Like it's, it's, it's a very, it's very beautiful. Yeah, I think we're all unanimous on that. It is undoubtedly a beautiful film. As you pointed out, like all the art direction, the set design, all that stuff is on point. Very amazing. And then, yeah, in terms of eye candy as well, the cast certainly helps out. They got the like most beautiful stars they possibly could. So if you're going into it, you're visually in for a treat. Um, and then whether or not intellectually, you were in for a treat. We'll get into that a little bit more. But Sean, your initial impressions. Um, I like the look of the, tra- of the trailer a lot. Um, and the cast is all, all people I like. Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, they're great. God, I love Florence Pugh. She's just so good. <laughs> um, anyways, um, I liked it. You could spend I, the whole rest of the podcast talking about Florence Pugh. I, I really could. I'm not gonna lie. Honestly, I, I really could <laughs> for multiple reasons. But I've really liked it, disregarding like my bias toward the actors that I like and all that. I think it just it looks so pretty. I love how beautiful it looked, and then like the sound editing was just so good when it came to like like the minute details of like the sounds you hear, like keep in mind, there's so much ASMR in this film. There's so many just small sounds. Like you can literally make an ASMR just video about it. It's crazy. And I like the weird mystery to it. Um, I accidentally called it (laughs) the mystery, (laughs) which isn't like, it was not like a big mystery, but like (laughs) me making a joke about it for it to being real was kind of funny. But I do like the mystery. I like the um, the idea that it pushed. I don't think it executed it fully, but I, I don't know what it is. Overall, I just I just I, I enjoyed it. Like I, I had I had more problems with Barbarian than this, maybe because I went into Barbarian being like, I want this and this. I just kind of was like, let's just see what happens. But I think overall, 
like this one was really good. It also made me hate males a lot. <laughs> I am one of them. I just really didn't like men in this movie. Like it, they just made me mad. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah that's certainly it's... the point is trying to comment on is yeah, obviously patriarchy but... and whatnot. But when you are one, like <laughs> it just makes you feel worse, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, I think I agree with y'all. Looks stunning. Um, and I do love the the premise of it, like these sorts of thrillers, like social, psychological thrillers, where somebody's locked in this constructed reality and they have to sort of piece together what's going on. Yeah. I think those are always interesting. And so, of course, it's drawing on inspirations like Stepford Wise and Truman Show. And I guess most recently. Oh, I love the with, Truman Show. Yeah, with like Harry Styles Sorry. audience. <laughs> most people are familiar with WandaVision as the like, latest entry into this sort of genre which is funny to think about uh, since they both initially start out with like the forties, fifties aesthetic. Um, But yeah, I think, mm -hmm. but yeah, I think they were definitely able to, as Brett alluded to uh, make it super beautiful, but it also ties into uh, a like story reason of why it is so idyllic and amazing and alluring to be inside of it. So yeah, let's go ahead and dive into spoilers and talk about things do we want to just jump to the the twist itself it's a simulation (laughs) (laughs) i'll take that as a yes (laughs) that's just what i said like two minutes into the film i was like oh my god this guy's in a simulation yeah (laughs) jokes aside surprise whatever one thing that um ryan had said to me um or said to us after the the film that i really agreed with was um Towards the end, it kind of looked like um, like a Black Mirror episode, yeah, or something out of Black Mirror. I was <laughs> yeah. like, okay, um, it was it was. I loved all of like the the glitches and like the the subtle nods to like, yeah, there's something something weird going on. But I think the thing that really sets it apart is the fact that like the people that are in like kind of like the Truman Show is that um, the people in there, at least some of them all of the men, including one of the other characters or two of the characters um, know that they're in the, know that they're in the simulation and they're trying to keep the status quo. Um, so I feel like it, it did a very, very good job with that. Um, like with the simulations and making her feel like she's crazy, like constantly gaslighting her trigger warning. Um, but like gaslighting her thinking that she's not, um, saying like there's something wrong with her when in reality she's right the entire time that there's something wrong with the place not her um and i i think that that was one of like the best the thing the best things because you're trying to figure out what's going on if, unless you're sean um throughout the whole movie you're like <laughs> right. you're like all right when is or, or even if you do know you're trying to figure out when is this going to um when is she going to find out for sure um and they do a good job of keeping you um waiting and keeping you like like invested in in her development into that i'm not crazy this is actually happening right i think they definitely keep you waiting i don't know though that like all the glitches in the simulation that we can call them the weird stuff that happens and she and the audience don't know why they're happening or what they are i don't know that all of them were entirely motivated or made sense or had specific reasons for why they took place at that particular time like some of them just felt like arbitrary things to throw in 
because they'd have to be a cool shot or their cool idea. Like we talked about that with the eggs. Like the yes, first yes. weird thing that happens in the film is her cracking the eggs and they don't um, like they don't have any yolk in them or anything. And you had brought up something that I was interesting, Brett, which I don't know if it entirely would have worked, but it would have been more interesting than what they did here, which is if she were doing that. And of course, the audience like that's incredibly weird. That's not how eggs work. But that was somewhat normal for her for whatever reason. Like it's just part of the world that sometimes you get uh, cartons of eggs that don't have any yolk inside of them. Like that would have been interesting to show us the audience that there's something off about this world. But yet for the characters, it's the norm. It's a status quo. And that makes it even more like scary and uneasy for us to see that they're locked in that and thinking that that's normal. But instead they just went the like regular route of it just being oh eggs with nothing inside of them how weird and she's like doing that but then she doesn't bring it up to anybody or isn't like all that bothered by it we just sort of move on from it so well would you blame her for not bringing it up to anybody (laughs) well at that point in the film she would have been because it's not like as right she wasn't at that point where she's getting considered crazy and so she would have to watch her back for what she says i feel like even as a passing thing you'd be like hey husband wasn't like it was a really weird thing that happened to me earlier today my eggs had nothing inside of them like even if she didn't think it was like this very ominous like clue about something deeper going on it's still just a weird thing to happen i feel like you would tell people yeah yeah. and that's that's why i guess i built up that that narrative in my head that it was normal for her because her her facial expressions were kind of shocked i feel like if i were in that situation i would have had a little bit more urgency but she looked like (laughs) she in in that scene it was almost like a a kid playing with play-doh more than it was like wow this is a weird occurrence happening it was more of Mm -hmm. like very i'm interested in this but like i don't know why i'm interested in this you know what i mean i feel like that's the that's why i got that that imagery in my head that um that's just something that's normal and that she was just going a little cuckoo and just like going, I'm going to crush all of the eggs. Because first of all, who picks up an egg and crushes it like that? Um, right. She, she felt that there was nothing in it and then just went, you know what? I'm not going to go over the sink of, of this house that I just cleaned. <laughs> I'm just going to like crush it right up, right straight up now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, maybe this is something that's normal that sometimes happens because she's been living in that world for who knows how long. Um, but... I feel like there would be more glitches and stuff like that. We don't really know how long she's been in that simulation, do we? Yeah, we really don't. Yeah, it's not explained to us, but we assume it's at least quite some time, a few months at minimum. Um, But yeah, and that brought up another point we were talking about last night of how exactly are they able to like keep the outside world from inquiring about the women that get trapped in there? Because, yeah. yeah, they would have not only their workplaces, but their friends and family that should be checking up on them somewhat regularly. So how are the men able to, like, hide the fact that they're, you know, keeping There's the so wives captive people. yeah, in their little simulations? So, yeah, that stuff doesn't quite work, which I had brought up what I would have preferred maybe instead of, like, the Black Mirror sort of way that they went. The reason I say the Black Mirror thing as well is because the little gadget they had to, like, yeah. hold up in yeah. the eyelids. It just looked a little goofy compared to like the way everything else looks so beautiful and so well realized like that particular um, little like piece gotcha. of art direction and prop design was not the best. But yeah, I think 
had they instead of going for some like gadget that somehow hypnotizes you and puts you in the simulation had it been like the victory town had that been a real place and the uh the men like basically kidnap the women and take them to that real place that's out somewhere in the desert very remote and that could also explain how they deal with the rest of the stuff like maybe they tell all the family members hey we're eloping and we're moving away and blah 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 um which of course would cause come some concern for them but if they're not able to like actually track them and they assume oh well they're just going to some other place that's why i'm not able to reach out to them that could clear up that plot hole um, but yeah, I would have liked if it were more of like a true, genuine, like we have constructed this place and we're planting these people into them to live out their lives. Um, but everything that is going on there is real. Like there's no glitches in a way that the simulation would produce. It's like, oh, you're in real life, but sort of like the Truman Show, everyone around you and um, all the like prop designs and the way the city is constructed, it all is designed to just keep you there in that facade. Um, yeah. So I thought that would have been a little bit more of an interesting route, but the simulation is kind of cool, I guess. Some of the things they do with like the glitches and how they like hypnotize, doing the um, like it looked like the blood or food coloring or something's getting diluted, and then they would have the eye imagery where it would like dilate, um, and then you would have the dancers that are kicking their legs back and forth, doing that same sort of like eye dilation thing, which I thought was cool. That was the awesome. first time it mm-hmm. happened. And then yeah. it kept happening. And I was like, okay. But, yeah, it could be a little bit more variety of something. That'd be really yeah. cool. But overall, I did think that was a really, <laughs> really interesting visual idea. Um, but yeah. One other thing I wanted to bring up and ask you guys about. The opening, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. Half of those minutes were dedicated to the two of them making out. Or having oral sex, hey man, particularly don't bring people, on Alice. Bring them to the theater, you know. I mean, <laughs> look, I mean look that's who, true. Look who's doing it? Look who's doing it. I well, suppose so. But yeah, I was curious about your guys's thoughts on that because um, they had talked about it, like Olivia Wilde in the press tour and whatnot. They had specifically talked about their purposeful inclusion of female pleasure, as she phrased it, I believe. Um, and so then we get like that one scene where he comes home for dinner and it's all laid out on the dinner table, I didn't like but then they all. start making out and then she's pushing all of the plates off and all the food off as he's going down on her. Uh, and so while I thought the like camera move of like going around the table was pretty interesting, I'm just wondering, what do you guys think the intent was of having so many scenes of them like making out and then particularly him going down on her? We don't really see any of the sex scenes where it's just like the two of them having actual sex and then where it's her going down on him. So would you guys, what do you make of that? So um, after watching the entire movie, um, what I think at, at first I was like, okay, it's like, like, I'm not sure if that's just how they are as a couple. Like, I don't know if that's what they're into. Like, I don't know. After watching the entire film, it, I look back at those scenes and I'm like, this is disgusting because of the state of, of mind that we see um, the character. Uh, what was her name again? Alice. Alice, Alice yes. Um, oh, fitting, going down the rabbit hole. That's like the Alice in Wonderland type deal. Um, that's cool. But um, 
<laughs> yeah, Jack. That's everybody's name, Jack. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, so I feel like after watching it, it's it's almost like that's what he wanted, and that's what he programmed her to want and and do and because we see like the glimpse of the real world where she's like constantly working and she doesn't want to do any of that and that could be like the cracked relationship or that could be um whatever it just does not feel to me like that is something that she would have wanted and definitely since he had like programmed how their emotions should be and how they fit into this perfect like 1950s um idea of like oh the woman cleans the house does this like all these housewife work things um i feel like it's it's a very it's very disturbing to see that he is constantly only like trying to pleasure her in in the well so just to touch on that though wouldn't you expect knowing what we know about it being a simulation and it's uh like him putting her basically in this fantasy world obviously harkening back to like the old school like women are the housewives stay at home and go out and work like that extremely traditional view of the family and like marriage wouldn't you expect that in that fantasy world like in that simulation it would almost always be her giving pleasure to him instead of him to her that's why i thought it was an interesting thing that they explicitly like made a hoopla in the press story about like oh we're gonna feature female pleasure but if this is at the end of the day like trying to relate it to some man's like perfect view of what a a life would be like and a marriage would be like it's interesting that they don't ever show like her pleasuring him so what i was originally thinking was that um everybody has their own way of like gaslighting gaslighting and keeping their woman complacent there and i know that um like some people can be addicted to sex and some people can be addicted to these things that would keep them in an environment where they are not they feel like they're not safe um so maybe that's his i I was thinking that that was his way of making her feel pleasure in a place where she felt like she wasn't um like that she didn't want to be in keeping her complacent and keeping her in that position that she's in i felt like that way that maybe she was like addicted to that um and that's why um that's why he was constantly like serving her to to do that because um uh chris pines um chris pine at one point frank is his name he said uh i think you've overserved your wife um and when they were at the din- when they were the only two at the dinner table uh, or three at the dinner table. Um, and so I feel like it was him. Uh, Wouldn't that be that's an interesting line. I'm not too sure what exactly the like subtext for that would be. But if you're over serving your wife, then wouldn't that mean they would be the most complacent or put uh, at ease? Wouldn't it be the case if he weren't? providing that pleasure that she would be more likely to be unhappy and then be searching for like the way out, like her subconscious would be trying to break out. And then so her in the simulation would then be trying to pick up on more and more of the clues and the glitches to uh, get out. It seems like, as you just pointed out, if that is the case where 
he's doing that in order to make sure she's as happy as possible in that world so she doesn't resist and try and break out seems like over serving would then like make sure that she does stay put and stay happy so yeah i think it's an interesting idea again i'm not too sure that that is their exact intention i just thought it's it's an interesting creative choice they made i'm wondering why they did it um well yeah um you can also see that uh like in the scene right before she um spoiler alert but right before she kills him um he was holding on to her and he was trying to um trying to like almost go down on her in a sense when she was like we have to leave we have to get out of here we have to get out of here and then he ended up just hugging her and like holding on to her and like trying to perform those actions and she was like not now not right now um so i feel like that was her breaking free and overcoming Mm -hmm. that addiction to then um like eventually just kill him sean what do you think about that did you read that as him trying to go down on her in that scene no no because well here's the weird thing i agree with brett like i was gonna say that about the whole um especially at the beginning like keeping her there like i do agree like that was a big point of him doing that to her because it was like to please her and like keep her in this world and like near the end when harry styles is like saying like this is for us this is for our better world I do feel like in a way he did do it for both of them. And that's why he was more like serving to her in the whole world. That's like when it came to them having like any form of like sexual pleasure, it came to that. But I don't think that part it was, I think you're, I feel you're mixing up two of the parts, Brett, because the part where he was like grabbing her and all that, that was when she discovered already that, he put her in this place and then like he didn't like lie to her anymore and then he started suffocating her i don't remember him ever trying to like go down on her at all at that point the part when they were trying to escape was when she was like begging him to like go with him so i don't remember after like a certain point like the i don't remember all like the sexual stuff happening at least because of like the the tension that was going on because the first time when they were when she was trying to leave she was trying to convince him to go with and sure they kissed a lot, but like nothing really sexual happened. But the part that I thought you were talking about was like the ending one where uh, he was like grabbing hold of her and like almost suffocating her. And yeah, that's that, what I that, Yeah, but that at that point, that's when she discovered what was going on. Like she yeah. knows that like, and like he even said, I don't have to lie to you anymore. So I don't think he was really trying to go down on her at that point. Yeah, but I, I like, I feel like he was getting into that uh that position he wasn't like trying to but he was like hugging her and stuff and like kissing her and then um as far as i remember maybe i'm remembering it wrong but he was like holding on to her and like hugging her and being like um i don't have to lie to you like you said and then i feel like that's just another way to try to get her to stay is like being like look we're happy here like he was saying like look we're happy here like then trying to you know get a response out of her sexually is what was going on because like um, that was when he was putting on the music and stuff to try to um, and that's what eventually made her like break out was because she remembered him humming in real life um, that song that he was humming. But like, I feel like what am I mixing? Yeah. 
I might be mixing some stuff up, but well, yeah, because he was putting on the music as she was like finishing the meal, and then that's what triggered her memory of real life and then remembering the song <laughs> and then she's like then they have that argument and then that's when he starts trying to yeah he like, always stop her from going her and point. yeah yeah well right before that she had said um because he had just gotten back i think that this is the same scene but he grabs the, sh- the glass from her and then he goes to put on the music and she was saying um she said um, I've got you this made for you, this made for you, so you can build up your stamina. Or was that earlier in the film? That was that was no no no. It was the same spot. It was be- but that the the music did not happen before that. He came in and he wanted to go right away into like them doing stuff, but he's like, No, 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 after dinner, here's the stamina. And then he went to go play music. So she didn't like snap out of it yet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is was that was him uh she had said like this is here to build up your stamina. Was that the last scene is like when he before she killed him that yeah was when she said that it so was he, but she but she didn't snap out of it yet yeah exactly but um then he went to go put on the music so he's already like expecting like a put out you know what i mean or like to well sure but i think both of them like dinner was off the table as was anything else once she connected the dots and was like oh you're keeping me in the simulation and then he's desperately trying to stop her from going i don't feel like he would have started to you know try and perform oral sex in order to stop her from going um but i mean there is maybe something to the idea of him getting on his knees and like uh wrapping his arms around her um as opposed to doing it like some different way maybe that does point to again like the frequency of them uh of him like giving that pleasure to her but yeah it's just an interesting thing that i was was thinking about of like why did we have so much emphasis on that yeah. Um, and what was its meaning? And I do think it's interesting that you point out, like, maybe that's one way he's trying to make sure that she stays happy. Because in the real life, when she came home from work, she was exhausted. He wanted to do stuff. She didn't. So she just goes to bed. Um, and so obviously, like, he wants stuff for himself. But then maybe in the uh, simulation world, he's like, oh, I'll try to make sure that she's getting hers so that she'll always be happy here since, like, in real life. No one yeah. was getting any um, since she was always tired. So in the simulation, I'll definitely try and make sure she's getting that pleasure. But then that sort of makes that whole idea of like him going down on her as another form of control that he's placing yes. on her. And it feels odd, especially in this day and age, and especially with this sort of film that's commenting on like sexism and the patriarchy and whatnot, that you would cast your like you would frame oral sex on women instead of something that's like empowering or pleasuring as just another form of control that men are placing on women. So that's why I was very curious about what the actual intention was and if any of y'all had your own interpretations of it. But yeah, pretty interesting. Well, different strokes for different folks, you know? Uh, yep. Get out. <laughs> <To> what? <laughs> <laughs> what a wise wise man you are brett uh dropping bangers we literally said that really was watermelon sugar high (laughs) what do you mean wise man and then you stole it from him you put it in your review i told him i was stealing from him yeah i got his permission i guess i told you i was doing it you could have said are you are you a barbarian out here hold on i don't don't know i might be i might be oh no 
Actually, was the monster all don't call me a monster. I'm the mother. Okay, I may be <laughs> grotesque, mother all but I'm good spirit. <laughs> I just want to take care of my bebe. <laughs> and my bebe is the podcast. <laughs> is the that's, fair, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Um, but yeah, so what's something else we can talk about? How about the dinner scene? It was cool. Which dinner? So they had a say. lot of dinners. <laughs> like was the, it the Frank dinner scene. Wait, um, the like one like the, where, where he they... went over to their house. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's um, cool. I, I like that that moment where she was like um, uh, challenging him, even and like you knew he was going to win. Like he has con- complete control over this town, and like nobody's going to believe. It's like, it's like. Wow, that's that's very like saying it now, but yeah, that that's like almost commentary of like today's society of like, oh yeah, well, don't believe her; she's just a woman. Um, that mm. so I feel like that was a it was a really good scene. Where right, I thought that. Just, Wait, uh, go ahead. Jinx, um, but I, I feel like that that was a good uh, good commentary there. Gotcha. Yeah, I think. Like that was a very electric scene. I think. I think it was extremely well done. Um, like getting to see her finally challenge him, but then again, he had said in the kitchen, like he knows basically that she's putting things together and wants her to continue. So yeah, the way that they were just uh, basically battling each other at that dinner table, bringing everyone else into it, that was great. That was probably my favorite scene of all of them. Um, yeah. And then I think we had talked about it last night as well of what did this particular line of dialogue mean where he was like, oh, you know, I, as you trust me in your household, I trust you in my bedroom. And so we had different opinions of what we thought that meant. I thought at the time that that's what, like he was saying that to allude to some affair between them. Yeah. And then everyone would be like, oh my God, she she cheated on her husband how could she but you were saying brett i was there saying, was a different meaning yeah i was saying that um he was referring to the fact that he brought them into his house he trusted them because he was like you bring i you brought me into you trusted me in your house just like i trusted you guys to not like um go behind closed doors in his own bedroom and um like have sex there because here he is like this almost religious figure like the figurehead of this whole the spearhead of this whole organization um like bringing allowing you to come into his house it's like you're supposed to show amount of respect you're you're supposed to show like okay great gratitude just like everybody else um and then they had literally gone into his his bedroom which is like I guess at that time period, like his safe place, like that's his sanct, that's like his sanctuary almost. You know what I mean? And then yeah. they were defiling that by having sex on his like dresser. But and here's that- the thing: two things about that. One, he could have stopped them, but he didn't. He watched for a bit and then bounced. Two, is that really like the way that they phrase that was a mic drop moment? Like that was a gotcha moment. And even Harry Styles, like his mouth dropped. So it seemed like the implication there was very serious. I don't know if it would be that like much of a shock or like a big gotcha moment to say, I know about the time that you like did something in my bedroom. 
Like, would everyone around the dinner table, like, it's like, oh, that's crazy. But would it be like, oh, wow, this chick is horrible and can't be trusted and this, this, and that? Like, all of that would be reflected on both Jack, but then also on Frank, because then they'd be like, well, how did you know if you were watching? Why didn't you stop it? So that's why I'm like, that comment seemed to allude to, like, an illicit affair between Frank and Alice. But we had never actually seen that. And then they didn't follow up on that at all. Jack didn't like bring it up at all. So it seems weird to say that phrase and make it like the big mic drop moment of him sticking it to her, like taking back control of the dinner table um, when it was like this passing comment about like, yeah, a weird situation where they were getting freaky in his bedroom. But I don't know if that's like the huge mic drop that they framed it as and executed it as in the film. Um, I feel like everybody in that cul-de-sac um, knows about like, cause that's what bunny was saying was like, I live next door. I can hear you guys getting it on all the time. It's like, you guys are on a honeymoon. Um, I feel like that's like one of the moments that it's like alluding to because they did disappear for a minute um, from like the, the party. And right. the only person that saw that he saw was um was alice um and so i think that harry styles character jack um was more like oh he saw that moment which i guess i'm not sure if that would make sense I, i i guess i was just thinking in the context of um like it's a simulation because then um or not, not in the context of the of it being a simulation, because then it would make se- it wouldn't make sense. Because then Harry Styles' character Jack would just be like, "Oh well, I mean, it's a simulation. I can do kind of like whatever I want." Really? You know what I mean? Because I'm paying you to have this here. I feel like it's almost like everybody's like worshiping this guy as like almost like this this cult leader figure, mm-hmm. and that like desecrating his 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 place is more of like a, a a slap in the face than like an affair would be, I guess. I don't know. Maybe, I, I, but again, it's like, why wouldn't he have stopped it? Like if he's able to sit here and like point out that that happened, I, I don't like, know. Why wouldn't I, he have just stopped it? I guess because, it goes the same way though. Like if, even if you say that, Ryan, why didn't she say something when he said that? Like if it not being true, she didn't say anything. I, well, yeah, but, that's why I was also like, is this, us the audience we're finding out about this for the first time as well, well like as it, jack is and everyone else on the table but the yeah i don't know it seemed weird the thing that sucks about it is that it doesn't even matter in the end because not only is it just a throwaway that they don't explore upon but you find out in the end that all the guys know what's going on so it doesn't matter if they believe it or not because the guys know that like it te- it probably didn't happen or it did because like they're trapped there like they know like if anything, the two girls were the ones that would probably been more like, oh, she did that. That's not what a normal housewife's supposed to do, like in like with where we are. But like all three of the guys know exactly what was going on during that entire interaction. So in my opinion, that whole line is just now a throwaway. To me, it doesn't matter because right. even if it alluded to they were it, it's talking about them being in his bedroom and doing stuff or them having an affair and doing stuff. It doesn't matter because they all, all the guys know what really is going on, was going on. Mm-hmm. Which sucks because that's a, it was a really cool like thing to develop on, but they just didn't. Are they you didn't trying remember. to, 
Are you trying to say, Ryan, that it's a plot hole or? I wouldn't call it a plot hole. I'm just saying more so the way that they framed that line is that it's this big mic drop yeah, moment. Yeah. It's the it was, it moment was. where he rests control of like the dinner table and that argument from her. But it's either something that isn't as impactful as it is presented to be. Like, again, I don't think the reactions at the table would be, oh, my God, they these two people that we know are horny already slept in the bedroom and Frank knew that and then let it happen. And now he's bringing it up here. Like again, my, my reaction, if I were at that dinner table as it was in the audience, if that's the case would be okay. That's also weird on you, Frank, that you walked in on that and then just let it happen. So, but you did also, if you remember Ryan and when that did happen, he did a little sh with his hand. I know, I which again, I like very weird. I think it's a good, like, the when that scene initially happened, it's a good moment because it's very unsettling for Alice, of course, to see Frank, like, come in. You would expect him to intervene and be like, what are you doing in my bedroom? Stop doing this. But instead, he, like, watches it happen, watches her specifically, like, getting this pleasure and then uh, just dips out and then lets it continue. So it's, a, I think, a good character moment. But again, I don't think the reactions at the table would be what it was made to be in the film which is that like oh now they don't believe her they think she's um, untrustworthy or again like breaking the like decorum or the norms of a housewife or something like that like maybe that could be the case but it it, it certainly is not as powerful as him bringing up that she like cheated on him or like cheated on jack or tried to get with frank at a certain point um, yeah i that, feel like that, that just... would have been a much better way to like blow that whole conversation up and turn everyone against Alice, including Jack. So, yeah. yeah, but then I feel like Jack would have touched on it. You know what I mean? Agreed, which I would have preferred because in that follow up conversation where she's pleading to Jack to leave, it's just, I don't know why we focused so much time on it when Sean, you even whispered next to it, which everyone had in their internal monologue. He's going to like give her up. He's going to give her over to the yeah, my, yeah. red jumpsuit people so that she'll get quote unquote fixed. So I don't know why we spent so much time on her like desperately pleading for him to do it. And then he says, okay. And then she says, okay. And then he says, okay. And then she says, okay. And I was like, guys, like we know what's about to happen. Yeah. It would have been more interesting if like that conversation would have been Jack, like interrogating Alice about, um, because at that point, that will be really we don't good. know. Yeah, we don't know that Jack knows. Like this is all, um, like a planned thing. Like, so he knows Frank is the head of this simulation thing. Knows that all the women that are brought in are like the girlfriends or wives of, um, the men that they want to have this perfect simulation of. But then Frank maybe threatens that by trying to get with like Alice or something like that. That'd be, be interesting really to explore for Jack because he's dealing with. How do I like go about this situation with Alice without letting her know that like this is all a simulation and I forced her in here, but I'm also upset about like the possibility of her going off with Frank. And is that true? Is Frank trustworthy? Maybe the simulation isn't so good anymore. Maybe it's not this perfect life that I want. So maybe we should leave and we try and deal with like the real life or something. Hmm. Like that could have been an interesting route to I explore. I do like that too. Yeah, I like that a lot too. Um, I feel like in the film, it would have been a lot um, a lot better if we knew what Frank's motives were. Because Frank is, is obviously like this character that's like the, 
the like master almost of like he he owns this this thing so like i would like to see what he has access to like can he see oh, yeah. like, like behind the closed doors can he like like what's going on here i understand that he's like the the owner like the the like person in charge but like um i feel like they tried to explore his motives in that sense um of being like i felt like he was interested in alice like maybe he, he made this whole thing so that way he could like actually like kidnap women or something and like he was trying to see which women would be like the best for his cause or whatever i don't know what his motives were you you bring up a good point brett because yeah when he said that thing in the kitchen to alice of like oh i like you you challenge me i was thinking thinking yeah yeah. like is this some sort of thing where he's trying to find the woman that will be yeah he's just like there to just frank he's just weird well that also brings up the question because then i was thinking oh is he like trying to find out which woman is going to be like the best one that he would want to have so like he'll make the strongest woman the one that's like the most aggressive or whatnot woman king, yeah. to try and <laughs> oh my god them, um <laughs> to become like his wife um since he i guess well, i don't know always on. wants Can that challenge because Jim and chan her character is she like frank's real wife that he brings in or is it a business partner or what is that whole thing of her killing him and in the end and saying yes. it's my turn now? What is that all about? That's what I want to talk about. That's what I was, that's what I was going to bring up next because I just don't get it. Still, that's like the one thing I don't I don't understand. Personally. She's going to make a woman's world or something where the men do that. Maybe, but again, it's like how did she? Like, yeah. How did she find out? No did she always know? That, she did know. Why does she care now? Like remember that big monologue she had at like the dinner table that I said was really good. Mm-hmm. Like. At that moment, like, do you think she knows or do you think she's saying that like genuinely because she's she also believes that like she's in like the real world? Like, I don't even know what to think of that monologue now. I don't either. I can't tell if she if she was in on it the whole time or if she wasn't, because I guess it makes sense if she wasn't like to still kill him. But like, how does she realize that she's not? Like is that's the biggest plot hole to me. I don't understand how she would realize that she's still in a simulation just because one person's trying to leave. Right, and I think but on the other hand, why is she working? Like, why is with she him? Yeah, with and I think they did a disservice as well because, like the Frank and Alice conversation, like it fired on all cylinders at that dinner table. In my opinion, like it was it was great, and I wanted to see that confrontation of like Frank going to try and stop Alice as she's going to the headquarters. And they yeah. build that up of, oh, he's there with his unbuttoned shirt, just lounging <laughs> around, and then he's getting the call, and he's like, fine. Like, basically, like, a fine, I'll do it myself. Um, and then he just walks into the knife that Gemma Chan has for him. And it's like, oh, so we didn't get to see, like, the final confrontation of Frank and Both those uh, characters Alice. just suck. Because he has no motives, and we don't know what she's doing there. Yeah. You know? Maybe that, maybe that was her like getting out of the simulation too. Maybe it was like, oh well, don't stop Alice because I also want out. Maybe that put her out. Well, that's fair, but like that's that's why I said. But then the line, the line she says as well, doesn't feel like one person breaking out doesn't mean the simulation is just destroyed. 
I just don't. That's why I don't understand how she now knows. Like all, like all well, the women did think it was suspicious, like with what Alice is doing. But I don't know if I fro- like can firmly believe that. Oh, Alice is like doing all this weird, wild shit. Yeah, let me stab my husband because I also don't want to be like. I I don't know how she would just think that right away. Maybe she was waiting for her moment to strike because at that point, um, he had just told her that um, Jack was dead. And then once once she found out that Jack was also dead, then she killed him. So maybe I mean, she was he waiting. He said Collins was dead at that point because the cars blew up. Yeah, Collins was dead. Which then I guess it it seems like it would be a, a hierarchy move then more than it would be like a I want out move because at that point like the other what we deemed last night was like the programmer, the guy the doctor yeah. Yeah. like Collins is dead. Which by the way, how did he like get in that car over there? Um, <laughs> he programmed True. himself in there, but, um, like, uh, after he died, that would be like the only other person that might inherit this technology, I guess. And then she killed him that way she could have the tech. I don't know. They it's didn't just so pointless that. if that's the reason too. Yeah. But like, yeah, I, I, I don't really understand. I would love to know. Um, I, I, don't, like, I don't care about her character. <laughs> I don't really well, just to like uh, give us like peace of mind, like maybe somebody out there has like another um, point yeah, of view on it. Yeah, we'll have um, Florence Pugh on the show next week, so we'll be able to ask her. Yo, that. wait, what? <laughs> Could you imagine? Yo, yeah, in a way. She had a face cam too. I'd cry. <laughs> I know, right? Dylan. I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know Instead even of Dylan, what I'd we talk get Florence about. I'd, I'd just start <laughs> talking about random shit at that point. Yeah, Florence Pugh. She I mean, definitely what? holds the film together. Can we just so put well. Dylan in like a wig? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he like just saw the movie. Hey, go back in the Nobody recording. Remembers. I said that already. Wow. Stole his Ooh. joke. Whoa. You just stole like his review. Stole. I don't exactly. I asked for permission. I said, Brett, I'm going to do that. And he said, okay. <laughs> That's not asking. <laughs> he was persistent. <laughs> you like the movie. You're just mansplaining, Ryan. No. Oh, that's another good point we could talk about is uh, how um, he was constantly like he was um, Frank is who I'm saying he was. Um, but Frank was constantly just spewing nonsense. He was just saying a bunch of words. that basically Well, here's meant nothing. here's the thing, though. I don't think that's like actually the intention they were going for. I think they wanted it to be like an Simple. interesting monologue an intriguing monologue, like pleasing to hear. Yeah. If they did do it to be like the mansplaining thing, then it worked a hundred percent because it was so mind-numbingly boring and insipid to listen to his <laughs> his monologue that first time at the house. I was like, "You're just saying such empty words." Like, <laughs> yeah, this was so pointless, <laughs> and it made me sad because I was like, "They could have, especially with Chris Pine, they could have done so much with it." But again, it was just like the most cookie cutter boilerplate stuff that you could say of like someone who's trying to lead this company and bring it into the future and whatnot. Like it was all the things you've always heard before. And so maybe they had like a 200 IQ move and they said, okay, this is what mansplaining feels like to women. So we're going to make the audience feel that by just having some just so insipid monologue. Yeah. I don't think that's what they were going for. I I, I don't th- think so, I, but maybe I it worked. That, 
I figured that's what they were doing. That's why I just figured he was mansplaining because he was just saying so many big words like that. But in that in that context, though, because when you think of mansplaining, it's usually like uh, the way people use it usually is like a woman who is qualified or competent in her job getting talked to by a man who is not more qualified or even less so. And then like just trying to explain to her how to do her job or something like that or some topic that she already knows about with that context like as a like you would expect a ceo or the like leader of an organization to do those speeches and like try to give a semi-inspirational speech about like this is what we're doing these are what our values are this is what it all means let's keep working together and do great so in the context that his speech is being delivered in it it would feel weird to call that like a mansplaining just because any sort of organization should have ideally like their leader giving a good speech to rally the um the like workers or the members so yeah that's why i'm also leaning towards it not being an intentional choice to display mansplaining but i do love that you brought that up of (laughs) like that's what it feels like to be mansplained to that's the case then wow Ladies, well, he- apologies, because good God, <laughs> wanted to Walmart blow my brains out. out <laughs> <laughs> he was just saying so much stuff that like was very like basic and like exactly. He was saying we're going to we're creating a better society. I can't even use as many words as he did, but <laughs> like, <laughs> um, he was like, like padding out when you got to get to a certain word count in your essay. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He was, he was just like, it was like a run on sentence of saying a point of, we are making a community to be awesome. And then he said it for like 10 minutes. He was saying exactly. that, that one sentence the entire way. He was like, we are rockets flying <laughs> through the sky towards we the are sun. The progressive materials. Yeah, yeah we are the progressive. <laughs> what, 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 we yeah. are the victory. Oh. That's another thing is like, what were these, I I guess, glitches um, is what we're just calling them. But like whenever the whole world would rumble, that was like a. Yeah, the explosions. I thought that was cool initially from the world. Real world stuff. Yeah, the world building perspective, because if they're working on like the Victory Project, which obviously seems like they're working on some sort of bomb, like Manhattan Project type deal. um, Then those like earthquakes would be them testing the weapons. So that would make sense. But then. We find out it's just a simulation and it's glitches. So then what are the rumbles and explosions? Is it something of like the software updating or whatever? Maybe it's them going in and out of like the simulation, you know? Maybe. Because they're all like like lying next to each other. I feel like at the time of day, I don't know if that worked out. Because they're supposed to come like in a a normal work day. And I feel like it didn't always... When they come back that. into the simulation, they're and they like start driving back home. They're not always there when they're home, you know. Like the wives aren't; they're still doing their own thing. I suppose so. It's just a theory. I don't know what else to think. That's about true. It. That's true. Okay, what else do you want to talk about? That um, plane was stupid. Yes. Ooh, anti-plane. I agree. I think yeah, it, was, it was just a dumb plot point. I don't care if it was connected to the to the kid the kid's toy but yeah even then i said why would the kid have that toy and why would it track onto the plane that randomly crashes yeah i don't know yeah wait here's another interesting thought like um they programmed that kid (laughs) it's true (laughs) so like 
So they programmed that plane. (laughs) They told Margaret that they were um, going to take away her kid to punish her, um, is what Margaret was saying. Um, No, that's that's what someone said that they think happened with Margaret. Remember when they all were chatting in the mall? Yeah, I thought that... Margaret was the one that owned, like that had the kid that killed herself. They were saying that like because of what Margaret did, it's like that's why she, they like that she thinks that they that they took the kid to teach her a lesson. They don't think someone said they don't think that she lost the kid. Someone said that she that they took the kid. I thought that the the idea was that maybe I'm remembering it wrong. I have a horrible memory, but I thought that Margaret was saying that um, they took her kid in order to. Um, like punish her. And that's what she was saying, because that's crazy talk is like, they took my kid to punish me. But then the talk, the talk of the, the talk of the town was that she brought the kid out there and it died. Like it somehow died. And she just, because their explanation of it was that she went out there beyond the border and she came back and the kid was nowhere to be found. I, I just have, I realize I have a weird question now. If you go oh. beyond the border that you don't, and you don't go to like, like the base where you can like, leave where do you go <laughs> just the void it's a good like, question and like where were they where were they remember the beginning where they were like doing the drifts in the car was that outside the border where was no, that no that was in like the field where they're driving to the the hq oh i didn't know they're it's just that, that big okay. like yeah desert okay, back to the field. void like like what if like what if she didn't go to the building what if she just like kept driving like what happens I don't know. There's probably an invisible wall at some point that would stop you it's from It's not Canada going. Woods, Ryan. <laughs> Have you ever seen the Truman Show, Sean? That's what she would find. <laughs> she turns around and just smiles. <laughs> what? Um, but yeah. Any other things y'all want to bring up? Um, any final talk? To school. Oh, actually, let's talk about the ending real quick because I did have a gripe about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was trying yeah. to mention it yet. I, I've been waiting for Ryan to talk about this the entire time. <laughs> So we see after a, a whole car chase, she's running up the hill to get to the HQ. And right before she's there, she pauses and then has a hallucination where she's reminiscing about Jack that comes up from behind and like wraps his arms around her. And I'll be honest, I have no clue what was said because in my mind, I was already thinking, this is just stupid. Leave. Why are we doing this? Why is this happening? So is that what he was saying? Don't leave. I, th- I think he said. I think it was just a voiceman saying, "Don't leave, Alice." Gotcha. Like this is like like we could be happy here or something like something like along the lines of that that he was said it like before she left again. Yeah. All that was in my brain was this is a very odd keep choice going. to make because yeah she needs to keep going because we've established as we explicitly stated earlier if you die here you die in the real world and that they're coming to kill you so. You need to get out. So we know this is like life or death stakes. We already know Jack is dead. Like she killed him. Saw that he was donezo. Again, she was Florence Pugh among her many amazing qualities. She's apparently yoked because she's able to kill him with just one glass to the head. Yeah. So she did that. He's dead. And at that point, like she obviously, like their whole argument, she's like, obviously I don't like this i don't like being kept here you basically kidnapped and captured me so it's not like she really cares about him at this point we certainly don't care about him at this point because he did that to her and he's also dead and so why did we have this 
random hallucination of like, oh, stay here, stay here. When there's not even that bit of like, oh, maybe she likes this life and oh, it's, it's. Yeah, because she can't she go doesn't back have now. To... He's dead. <laughs> well, yeah, because yeah, if you had that, maybe it'd be like a choice of like, oh, well, was it that bad? Like I was happy. I don't have the like exhaustive shift at the nursery thing. Like him and I were happy here. And in the real life, we weren't. We were always like butting heads. Maybe this isn't so bad. But that isn't a choice that she can make. It's either I die or I get into the real world. Like there's nothing that is actually keeping her in this simulation. Like there's nothing that's pulling to keep her here. So why we had that hallucination right before she's supposed to leave, I just don't understand it. It should have been an urgent situation where she's getting out as fast as she can, not stopping to like think back on Jack for a minute before then making that choice to go into the real world. So I don't know. It was a very strange choice to make at the ending of your film. It definitely is strange. However, um, I feel that it was like, that was like her last moment breaking away from that simulation because she was feeling a little bit of like, maybe I should stay here. But do you feel that? I feel like you would feel that once you're removed from the life or death stakes. I, well, I, true. I think, yeah, that is a weird thing, but I feel like that was her, um, that was her final decision to either stay there and die because there's nothing left for her in the real world other than like her freedom or like that tiny yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. That little thing. Like, um, but at that point, I don't know. Again, it just didn't, mind, yeah, but, it didn't feel like a real choice though. Cause yeah, again, it's either dying here or going back to like real life. No one's going to make the choice to die there. Yeah. And at that point she was very adamant about like, that was my life that you took away. That was like, yeah, she even um, said, she was life. like, I liked working. Like, I liked my job. I liked doing it. And also, yeah, it was my life. It was my choices that I was making. So, yeah, it wasn't a point even then of like, oh, freedom in the real world where it's hard. Like, she was always going to go back to that because it's where freedom was. She was able to live her life how she choo- how yeah, she wanted to make it. Um, so, yeah, it's just, yeah. I don't know, this is a baffling I- decision at the ending. I agree with you that it's um, uh, her, like, that's weird placement. But I think that was finally her, that was like her last glimpse at like the Stockholm syndrome that she was stuck in, that that was like the last like latch and she just chose to break free and get back to um, her life. And she chose freedom in that instance. And um, that that was her breaking free of that, Stockholm syndrome like that was the last thing that maybe she did still have feelings for him and she's gonna miss him because she didn't know that if he died in the simulation he died in real life so that was like I feel like yeah, that she was just killed Harry. that's yeah but she didn't know that he would die in real life at that point she knew it was a simulation right but again I don't think she it's not like she's going back to real life and then they would have lived out their life I mean she's definitely Breaking up with him. What, but, I, what I'm what I'm trying to say is that maybe there was, I, and this is kind of outlandish because that is a very outlandish moment. I think um, you're being very generous to the film. Yeah, yeah. I, I I haven't used unhinged yet. Um, but I I feel like um, I feel like that was her last like breaking out of that. Like it's very logical 
in thinking, yes, just get out. But I feel like that was like the last artistic, like, okay, I'm breaking free. That was her freeing moment. Um, but so we I feel already like that's why that... had that. Like we already had that. There's no reason for It'd us be different to if he was rehash alive. that. It'd be different yeah. if he was alive, I think. I agree. But then again, that would have taken place in the real world rather than at the precipice of yeah. you know, touching the HQ and then getting into real life. Here's what maybe it is. She wanted to hear him with the British voice one last time. Oh, get out. Yeah, that's it. That's a different <laughs> She was like, he's get dead, out. but maybe, you know, maybe in the, the simulation, British he was that. British. I got to hear that accent one more time. We didn't really touch on the, uh, the real life um, um, implications of how she's like, in, in real life, she's like a doctor and stuff. And, um, you know, in this 1950s household, like, life that she's living in the simulation it's like those are so polarizing um that i'm really glad that they they uh introduced that part but yeah agreed okay any other last minute thoughts about don't worry darling i can't believe they didn't say that line once in the film i know i it was like the perfect movie to use the title of the movie in like the dialogue true like if you said if you if like if Tess and Barbarian said, "Oh my God, she's a barbarian," I would have been like, "Get, I'm leaving, get out." But if like if Harry Styles always said, "Don't worry, darling," I'd be like, "Okay, that's kind of cool." I don't know why. I, just, I just think it's funny. <laughs> That'd be like really funny if he went, "Don't worry, don't worry, darling." I'm like, oh, "He said it." <laughs> uh, one thing I did also have to point out: the score. It was ridiculous. Oh. <laughs> it was, it was ridiculous. I don't know what like sounds they were trying to put in it was definitely an unconventional <laughs> but yeah i mean that was fine but yeah like the actual score where they would have these weird um sounds coming in it yeah, just what, didn't what work the point of them? it just didn't work it like even during the car chase scene they had it and my first instinct on hearing some of them is to laugh or chuckle because it's just yeah the ridiculous noises That's that they're putting into like a rhythmic um sort of sequence it's i I do enjoy when, you know, creative choices are made like that where they're going for an unconventional route instead of the traditional route. But I don't think it worked. I don't think it was enhancing the emotions that the scenes were meant to be giving off. I think they actively uh, hindered them because, again, I'm laughing at the scene instead of feeling tension as she's trying to make her escape. So I think it worked better in Hereditary, those noises. Hmm. Is that the right movie same exact thing? Because at some point I thought that there was somebody snoring in the theater. I was like, what the fuck is that noise? <laughs> I was like, who the fuck is like going so loud? They're like, oh. oh. I was like, what the fuck is who's snoring yeah, here? There, there's always been weird audiences recently with those films. Like when we saw Don't Worry Darling last night, that girl who gasped, I was like, you were surprised by that? What? What did she you gasp at? She also laughed at something else too. Like laughed out loud. At it, was just, it, was, it was like a head turn. I was like, what? <laughs> Like, really? It's part of the theater. Indeed, that's the experience. Okay, so now for our rating. How many 1950s housewife ASMR inserts out of five? You got this, Brett? Me? Yeah. Um, Overall, I thought it was a very good movie. I enjoyed it. Um, 
I like the guessing and I like the sense of like, okay, I need to get out. And Truman Show is like one of my favorite movies like of all time. So it can't top that. Um, <laughs> but now I feel bad for giving uh, um, the uh, Barbarian like 3.5. Maybe I should have given that lower. But um, I would probably say that this is around 3.5 or 4 stars for me. Which one? We're going to pin oh. you down. You got to have You're a specific number. Yeah. All right. 3.75. Bro. <laughs> we do <laughs> know quarter stars. Quarter stars don't yeah. exist. You got to right. do a half well, star. Didn't do that for the Amazing Spider-Man 2, though? No, I don't Was think that so. you? Oh, damn. Uh, I think he did. We always make it a full or half star. So what would it be? 3.5 okay, or 4, Brett? Um, I'll well, move down. I'll, yeah, move, I'll move Barbarian down to a three, and then I'll give this a three point five. Wow, gotcha. Okay, cool. And then Sean. Yeah, I give this a three point five mainly for the aesthetically pleasing cinematography. The or acting Florence was Pugh. pretty good. Florence Pugh is a half star. Stop! <laughs> <laughs> I know. But no, uh, like the overall just look of the whole film looked great. I did like the sound editing, even though the sounds were weird. I thought all the acting was pretty good besides Harry Styles was just a weird actor. I, th- I didn't mind it, but I was like, this, this, this is okay. Yeah. yeah, it just felt weird. But um, the plot holes were too, the plot holes were bigger in this one than they were in Barbarian for me. But I think as an overall sure. film, it was better structurally and the execution landed a slight bit more. So that's why I'm giving it a three and a half. And I gave Barbarian a three. Because I like Barbarian not as much as this. But um, yeah, if the plot holes weren't so big and so dumb, I probably would give it a higher rating. But they're pretty big plot holes. Gotcha. I'm giving it 2.5. Again, for all the reasons we discussed, a lot of the like execution of the ideas I don't think quite landed. I think there are some interesting ideas in there. Again, I think Florence Pugh, uh, she definitely holds it together. Chris Pine in that dinner scene definitely did. Um, But I was disappointed with just the writing of his character earlier in the film. I think they could have done more with him. Um, But yeah, visually it's stunning. But ultimately the choices that they make here and there either don't seem to have much motivation to them or there are like alternatives that you could easily think of that would have tied together loose ends, cleared up those plot holes while enhancing, I think, some of the themes that they were trying to discuss. So, yeah, overall, I don't think it's a horrible film by any means, but yeah, it could have, could have been quite better, as Harry Styles would say in his British accent. I still think that's so funny that they had to they had to write that into the plot of the simulation (laughs) because he wouldn't be able to do an American accent for the whole film. So they're like, okay, we'll just we'll make you British. We'll explain it somehow. He says in English, I mean, sorry, in like an an American accent and the rest has British because they just make the simulation British. (laughs) You would think she'd realize that she's not British, that he's not British. Like, "Hmm, why did that accent? You were never British. (laughs) Or at least just make him British in real life too. Like why? Yeah, like like who cares? He's British in real life. Yeah, I know he could have just been a British you, dude. Why do you have to edit that? Like he's he was like I've always wanted to be British. So in this <laughs> idea society, I'm British. I might knock it down another half star for that after we're talking about it. That kind of makes me mad. <laughs> That's really infuriating hearing about hearing that out loud at least. Right. 
Damn. But, all right. That's awesome. all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficepod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. And if you enjoy the show, give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to. Go ahead and follow us on Letterboxd, where you can see our reviews of films we talk about on the show and ones that we don't talk about on the show. So we're at Box Office Show on Letterboxd. You can also find Sean there at yes. Sean Odin. So yes. go ahead and get him. I don't think Brett has a Letterbox, but... I do not. Tragic. But I want to give a shout-out to the guests, Sean Tormey, Brett Butcher. Thanks again for coming on. It was a splendid hey. time. I it appreciate was. it. It Thank was. We were a us. bunch of barbarians. <laughs> we were. And still yeah. are. And we maybe had no we worries. <laughs> maybe, maybe we shouldn't throw <laughs> ourselves had... into that category. Yeah, hold on. Wait a yeah, minute. Don't do after that. what we had to <laughs> talking about in this podcast we shouldn't do that (laughs) (laughs) but all right have a great rest of your day